Wasn't it like a like a tooth thing or something? It's like a tooth infection. It got to his heart. Got to watch out for that, man. That's why you got to yeah. go to the dentist. Yeah, you do. Oh, you went to the dentist today. Mm-hmm. How'd that go? Normal day at the dentist. Normal day at the dentist. All the usual stuff happened. Really? They do some scraping? The poking and the pain. And you the got suffering. any cavities? Uh, no cavities, but uh, I couldn't stay numb, so they kept poking me. Wait, why were you numb? Oh, I was getting a um, a crown. Sorry. Well, that's not a normal day at the dentist. That's a party. No, but I mean, the, the pain. Oh, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot. You 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 walk into the dentist in like loose pants with like just an erection ready to boil over at the pain. That, and the did suffering. I ever tell you about the time I had the uh, the permanent crown put on without Novocaine? That seems like a you thing. They're like, you can do it without. I was like, I can. Yeah, let's do that. But so was this the part one of the process or part two? No, so it's part two. So they already done the temporary. So okay, not the grinding. So basically, they're just they're just exposing the tooth to like the air. Yeah, I mean, you, man, that is a live fucking wire. You feel everything. It depends. I have. I it's have like had. a butterfly flaps its wings in China, and you feel it on your uh, on your exposed nerve there. I, I, that's yes and no. I mean, I have I have done it one time without the Novocaine. I had, I didn't really have any problems, and then I've done it one time where they did the thing where they need to dry it real good before they uh, do the cement, and I started crying. <laughs> <laughs> Which is which is awesome because they got real smart. So one of the women who works there, I see regularly at my job. Oh, so like now it's like I have to be less of a baby when mm-hmm. I go to the dentist. She's like, oh, oh, do you want your blankie? You gonna cry? You gonna cry, little man boy? I'll see you the next day, and she's just like, "How's your shame?" And I'm like, "It's good. It's real I can, good." I'm trying to remember. I don't. I. Pretty sure it was Dan Benjamin. I don't know which podcast it was. It might have been Back to Work. It might have been uh, the talk show back in the day. But he talked one time about having a cavity filled without mm. Novocaine. And I was just like, I was so jealous. I was like, wow, you can do that. He's just like, I don't know. He's just like told them. He's like, no, no, no. I've been like meditating or something. Like do without the Novocaine. And how did that work out for him? Apparently it went fine. I don't know. Bullshit. <laughs> bullshit you don't believe that i don't know man i've he's only on, he's ever on that seen... paleo diet oh, fuck. i'm making i'm making a big great big hand jerk off hand gesture mm-hmm. um i just want somebody to walk into dentist and be like i don't need the novocaine i just took my cbd oil so uh i've only seen the one scene from a uh, little shop of horrors where like nicholson shows up and he's like horny for dental pain not Nicholson, I'm sorry, Bill Murray. And he shows up for like like super just thirsty for dental pain. And that makes me think of you. Hmm, okay. Anyway, enough about the dentist. Yeah. Should Hot we, content. Uh, should we start the pod? Why not? Hello and welcome to Headcanon. I'm James Saylor. And I am Marco Sparks. Gong Hei Fat Troy. Happy yeah. New Year. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's Cantonese for Happy New Year or, mm-hmm. you know, something similar. <laughs> How are you celebrating? <laughs> Talking about Gone Girl and just yearning. Yearning? Who do you, ever, who are you yearning do you ever, for? Do you ever just yearn? Oh, you know, this is our romance episode. Yeah. Bring back the love. I have to get in touch with our feelings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, move over, 
Hawkeye, we have a new ineffectual ar- archer in town. Its name is Cupid. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> All out. I just saw that uh, Jennifer Lawrence got engaged. Oh, she did. Can you guess? Can you guess how stupid the guy's first name is? Uh. Hmm. Wow. See, I a, a million different options just ran through my mind. I'm gonna go with like some sort of like Caden or Jaden or Aiden or something. Somewhat close. Cook. With Cook? An e at the end. Cook. Cook? Who's this Cook. who's this guy? I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those like when you go to the uh the news thing by accident on Twitter and like four out of five times it's some bullshit you ain't you ain't ever gonna care about. Uh-huh. And so it's like Jennifer Lawrence is engaged to cook something or other. Which was first cook, of all, cook all the guys named Boone like taken. <laughs> Never he's an art gallerist. I don't think that's a word, but sure. After eight months, yeah, okay. I, I just, I just waiting for the inevitable, like I don't know, like Us Weekly or TMZ headline that just says "Cook cucked." <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence is engaged to Velvet Budsaw. <laughs> huh? Right. So what? What else do you want to talk about in the matters of the heart? How's your heart? Ah, uh, it's hanging in there. Yeah, cool. Should we talk about our sorry gun? Oh, so what are you what are you putting in your heart lately? Hmm? What's it full of? Uh piss and vinegar. Ooh. And uh, you know, some white IPAs. What are you drinking there? Uh I just have uh some whiskey. Just just whiskey, neat? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, ice. 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 I should have abolished that, but yeah, I I have that in my glass. Hmm. Okay. What kind of whiskey? Um, uh, Johnny Walker. Ooh, rough. Sitting on top of my fridge. What's going on? Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> do you ever just yearn? I just, I mean, I do feel like by the time we get to the end of romance month here on Headcanon, you know, it, we might, we might expose some things by each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Cool. Like, 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 in what fashion? Like, is this just all like one convoluted, twisted courtship ritual between us? Can how are you doing? Can what we are you get doing after this? One of us to break down and cry. Oh, oh at I some was, point, I was thinking you were saying it was more romantic between the two of us. I'm sorry. Ooh, oh, shit. boy, did wow. I read the room wrong? This wow. is awkward. Yeah. Oh, oh boy, I just got to turn around and go serve some Russian guy now. <laughs> that was a deadly class reference. Should we talk about uh, our media diets? Don't, don't do dead class references. No one cares. I mean, I'm the world's biggest Lana Condor fan, but who's watching this show, really? I still haven't watched the third episode. I downloaded it. I haven't got to it yet. What are you watching? Well, True Detective, except I haven't watched this last week's episode because I've been busy. Samesies. Yeah. Um, I I keep waiting to like see that like headline on various, you know, content farm sites or whatever it's like oh shit the last episode of true detective was off the hook or whatever like like seemingly it's coming eventually like there's gonna be that episode that's like the big one Mm -hmm. but i don't think we've gotten there yet i think they're just so far enjoying a slow burn with a few talented actors and steven dorf pretty slow burn yeah it's like here's a here's a lot of good dramatic scenes we forgot to pack the uh the good true crime in our suitcase for this mm-hmm. journey. Mm-hmm, 
Yeah. Um, you watched all of Russian Dolls, if I'm not mistaken, right? I have watched all of Russian Dolls. I've just watched the pilot with you. Yeah. Does that's it? Right. Um, so when I when we watched it together, I liked the concept. I didn't like really any of the characters. Is does that remedied? Like, will I enjoy the characters more in the future? So there's another aspect to be fleshed out hmm, okay. as far as characters. I don't know if initially it works, but like where it goes, I started to enjoy. You get a lot more of, uh, I can't say anything. I was hmm, say the gingerbread okay. man. Um, I, I mean, all I know is like all the people at that fucking party, just leave it. Uh, like mm. I, the only people I was interested in after the pilot were like the, the guy who works at the bodega and like his like buddy who was like collapsing or something like all well, those all those like fucking bougie people at the party i was just like nah good for you to like zero in on those two guys hmm, okay because that that becomes important in the show you find a little bit more about some of the people you've already met which makes them kind of interesting um one of the guys i think you'll despise but i think you'll agree of his world philosophy interesting uh, and what okay. does he say i'm not a choice I'm the hole where a choice should be made. Oh, hold on, uh, I need to change my Twitter profile to that. You should. Please do it right now. Won't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, you watched anything else besides Russian Dolls? Russian Doll? I don't think so. I want to watch Velvet Buzzsaw. I don't Is know what it Russian I'm Doll, not Russian Dolls? It's Russian Doll. Wow, what a hack I am. Mm. Um, uh, I want to watch Velvet Buzzsaw, but my... I've been pretty busy, so I've just basically watched a couple episodes of Russian Doll each day. We watched some really horny episodes of Star Trek the other night. We did, yeah. Those were horny as fuck. Like, see, that's what I mean. It's like you remember the show from when you were a kid, and then you watch it again, and you're like, oh, my fucking God. So Famke Jansen shows up. Riker has one scene of her, and then he has to spend the rest of the episode on the holodeck <laughs> just taking care of his needs because he like, he's got him so, like, horned up. He literally says, I'll be in the holodeck, and you're like, okay. You don't <laughs> That's see somebody me. called Mopbot, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. And then he, like, fucks. He finds himself in a little love triangle. Ensign Rowe, yeah, Ensign yeah. Rowe and Ensign Troy. Roe. Oh, yeah. the end of that episode where everyone has their memories back and Troy and Roe are just sitting at the table waiting for him. And he's just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> John Favreaks is a lot better than I remember. <laughs> I wonder what, like, if, if this was a, if that episode, if Star Trek was a popular show and it was airing today, what mm-hmm. would people, how would people react to that episode where, like, Riker, like, everyone loses their memories to be Ross's situation? And Riker discovers that like him and Troy were, are in a relationship, and he's like, "Cool." And then like the next scene, he goes back for another round with Ensign Row. Just like, what a fucking scumbag move! <laughs> I don't know if it's like spelled out that they're like, oh, they're fucking currently. Cur- oh no, no, I mean, I don't know if it's spelled out that currently he and Troy were in a relationship. I mean, the the setup for the. When he comes back to his quarters before he knows about Troy and Rose just there in the negligee and a classic like a, a man wrote me to seduce you where she's just like in a negligee and she's like, I just have a feeling that I spent a lot of time here. <laughs> and he's like, this could be a huge mistake. And she's just like, ha ha. And they go at it. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I feel like you could try to rationalize that away. It was like, hey, I had no memory. But it's like, OK, but then you found out that me and you were together and then yeah. you went and did it again. Yeah, well. Yeah. 
but I that started as a, as a kid, like a a crush on Michelle Forbes that lasted for a few years. Mm-hmm. On a long enough timeline, she'll appear on every genre TV show. I hope so. And like she'll show up and she'll get a little bit mean of people, and I mm-hmm. I live for that. All right. Well, what do you listen to? Um, what am I listening to? I've been listening to a lot of different things, but uh, I started. I spent the other night. Just turning on this is kind of a blast from the past. I turned on the Dandy Warhol, so I was working on some stuff. Wow. Yeah, it was real weird. What uh, specific Dandy Warhols were you listening to there? Oh, it was kind of all over the place. But the uh, Tales from Urban Bohemia and uh, whatever track has Boys Better on there, and of course, uh, uh, not if you're the last junkie on Earth. Somebody like just like like a mm-hmm. uh, what's the word I'm looking for in your iTunes when you shuffle. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Shuffle. Just shuffling that shit. It's a good band. Yeah. I feel like I probably have missed some of their later stuff, but I have a fair amount of albums from them. Yeah. I mean, a lot of good older tracks, but like, doesn't it kind of begin and end with Bohemian Like You? Eh, there's more than that, you know. You Were the Last High. We Used to Be Friends. You Were the Last High is a good one. <laughs> um, And the Veronica Mars theme song is mm-hmm. the other one, yeah. Yeah, you were last night probably the one I listened to the most, but still, like, talk about this is like a buoyant, bombastic anthem of Bohemian Like You. We're probably the only two people remotely connected to this podcast who's ever heard of this band. I don't know who our demo is, but <laughs> they're not listening to Dandy Warhols. They weren't sitting up the other night crying while listening to Dandy Warhols. What about you? What are you listening to? I've actually been listening to a fair amount of Modest Mouse lately. Hmm. Sort of listen to that on my drive back from up north. What uh, brought this on? On the anger? Oh, no, not anger. No, I was listening to the good news for people who love bad news. Um, I is that, is that the one after the the rape charge? I don't know. No, I have no idea. Um, I I really don't know anything about the band. Uh, it's the I think it's their most popular one. I think it was like the one that got like mainstream airplay. With, with, I remember uh, float on on it. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, one of those nights visiting you and Pina in San Diego, and she and I went to that bar around the corner, and some uh-huh. drunk guy kept screaming out. His catchphrase for the night was, "Oh, what was it? Like we were dead before the ship even sank." Oh yeah, that's like a couple albums later. Yeah. No, no, but this was before mm-hmm. that album. And then later, when I heard that was their album title, I flipped out. All right. A, yeah. Maybe he's just really like tuned in, like Pitchfork. It could be. The uh, oh, what were we reading? Oh, uh, the perfectionists, and you got to read the right indie blogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've uh, been living in LA for a year now. You know, you know me. Like usually, I don't last more, longer than a year in most places. So I guess I was in the mood for this album. Interesting. I'm going to fire up, fire it up after we're done here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you reading? Um, I took a day for myself and I reread Slapstick by Kurt Vonnegut. Okay. Which is a book I haven't read in a while and I really enjoy. And uh, probably tonight I'm anxiously going to start uh, The Elizas by one Sarah Shepard. Oh, are you? I'm going to follow your lead, yeah. Okay. Which, oh, yeah. like I told you the other night, I'm going to read the Elizas next, so. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm reading right now. 
I'm a little further in. It's um, it's interesting but weird, I guess. Cool. There's like a book within a book thing going on. Yeah, I'm yeah. like pretty sure in the book within the book that there's like a, a Munchausen by proxy thing going on. Ooh. So waiting to see how that develops. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, I think it might mm. be time for Gone Girl. Are you excited about this one? I am. Yeah. Uh, we watched it together. I kind of wish I'd had a chance to watch it again on my own. Just to kind of fully soak and marinate in it. But yeah. Mm. Hey, you could have soaked here. You could have marinated. Mm. It's a big couch. Um, yeah. Let's jump right in. You got an opening statement? Sure. Uh, I feel like if you like you, you'll probably like this movie. To Maybe. put a more modern spin on it. Um, what a fascinating fantasia of what married life or just like I think relationships in general can be. Uh there's a hilarious stretch of this story where you have the missing white woman on TV staple and, and like Nick played by Ben Affleck is like this clueless doofus who doesn't know how to act and becomes this – it becomes this like this very unique comedy of manners with the media and looking as guilty as you can possibly look without intending to. Um, and then it kind of gets in this fascinating like three sides of a relationship, which is like the two people in the relationship and how the world perceives them, especially when the perception is like from vampires of tragedy. I just – I really enjoy this movie. It's so visually, I don't know, like a vortex. It just pulls me in every time. I don't, it's not a warm movie. I don't know if I love it. I don't know if I want to come back to it occasionally. It's something I'm always glad that I've seen. There's parts of it I just adore. Uh, it's a fascinating adaptation, especially having the author of the book work on it. Uh, I was reading a little bit how Fincher was telling her basically like, the audience doesn't have the luxury of being privy to the character's thoughts. So the question was always going to be, how are they behaving? Which is very much in the visual medium, how this movie works. But it's just absorbing. Um, I think we've talked about like the YouTube videos you can watch on the art of Fincher. And they're really interesting because every frame of painting video really sells. Like there's the right way and the wrong way to film a movie. The nerd writer video is really good about like how he hacks your eyeballs and gets you to follow like bodies in motion on the screen. And then I was rewatching the lessons from the screenplay video, which is just how good like Jillian Flynn's screenplay is, like how each scene builds. She manages to use these kind of terrible subplot characters that will be important to like setting up your end game. Um, so can I just say in summation, when two people love each other and they can't make that work, that's the real tragedy. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. I think, uh, like you can't you can't start a career as like a YouTube video essayist on movies without doing one on Fincher. There's oh, a lot of them seriously. out there. Seriously. Some of them are good. Some not. <laughs> the every frame frame of painting one. I really like that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, Gone Girl. Man, every time I watch this movie, I just I go back and forth in my mind over whether or not it's insane to want to meet an amazing Amy of my own. Like I know I'm supposed to be terrified of her, but She's just so compelling and crafty. Um, yeah, I don't know. I am, of course, a huge fan of David Fincher. This is our f- first Fincher movie, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Um, fantastic director. Um, I'd read this book before I saw it, um, and I really liked it. So I kind of knew I would, like it was going to be like a huge shock if I didn't love this movie. Um, and I feel like Fincher and Gillian Flynn pretty much knocked out of the park. Uh, I love how economical the script is. I love how skilled Fincher is at conveying like so much information visually. 
I love Kim Dickens. I love the score. I just, I love it all. Um, it does such a good job at all the little details of this kind of modern pageantry of the missing girl. Uh, just like the media circus, the tropes, like the spectator sport aspect of it all. Uh, I think other directors hold up a funhouse mirror to the real world, but Fincher, he just holds up a regular mirror and he's, he kind of dares you to protest. You know, he's just <laughs> like, this is you. Prove me wrong. Would you agree this is a better adaptation of a of a book than his Girl with a Dragon Tattoo? Um, mm, That's tough, I guess, because his Girl with a Dragon Tattoo a- adaptation is really, really accurate and faithful to the material yeah. so i guess what how are you are you you know i guess uh, just, by what terms are you deciding whether or not it's a better or worse adaptation i think it getting at the the essence and the core of a story in a different medium i feel like this just works like you said there's a great economy to all this um i think that's really a, more a factor of the source material than anything i think the okay. girl with the dragon tattoo is a fun pulpy story but it doesn't have quite the uh, kind of, you know, sticky layers that Gone Girl has. Well, it has some pretty sticky layers, but I, I would make the argument that maybe some of the perspective shifts of who's being violated and then who's violating in that one. I, I guess I prefer this movie. So maybe it's a it's kind of a biased question on my part, but uh, I really enjoy the sticky layers of this movie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like two and a half hours, does it? No. It. I mean, it's a Fincher movie. He he knows what the fuck he's doing with it, uh, with the camera and how to edit and how to tell a story. It's just I don't know. I I never saw Benjamin Button because it didn't interest me. But I feel like every other movie of his that I've seen, I've just been very very impressed with how he tells a story visually. Like he he's not like a stylist per se in the in the vein of like like he's not making like Tree of Life. You know, mm-hmm. but he's just like <laughs> just incredibly competent, you know, kind of Hollywood style director who I, I think he's the best that's out there currently just on like how to tell a story in the Hollywood classical style with, you know, kind of maximum impact and, you know, maximum attention to detail. Mm-hmm. I would love to see uh, David Fincher's Rebecca. Yeah, I I don't think I ever saw Benjamin Button either because. It just care. didn't interest me. Yeah. And I'm concerned about him doing a World War Z sequel, but I don't know what knows? that's about. Yeah. Who knows? All right. Well, uh, what what if, uh, I say what a fascinating career though. Like, like ILM and then like doing music videos and then movies. I never saw alien three either. I saw it, but it's like a very long time ago. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think it got hacked all the hell. So it's, it's not one I would really judge him by. I, ironically, I think one of my least favorite movies by him is Seven, uh, which I don't mm. think is actually that great of a movie. I think it's one of his uh, lesser movies. It's mm. it's just like the script is so like edge lord. I just I'm not into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so should we do top moments? Yeah, I've got three honorable mentions. Cool. I have. This was tough. Mm. I kind of kept it to one, though there could be like twenty. So why don't you start? Uh, real quick, let me pull up the full quote here just to, to get at the heart of it here. I would just wonder how many of ours are going to overlap. Well, probably a ton, right? Yeah. So Nick and Amy are having an argument. He says, fuck, you're delusional. I mean, you're insane. Why would you even want this? Yes, I loved you. And then all we did was resent each other, try to control each other. We caused each other pain. And Amy says, that's marriage. 
I love that moment. It's it's like more on the nose than Fincher ever really gets in any of his work. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it's like a big kind of like audience laugh there. Uh, but I I loved it all the same. I just love that it. it just feels like a finger in the eye. Uh, let me add a, a fifth one. So mm-hmm. I do have two. But please continue. Oh, that was it. That moment. Or right, I guess if you don't mind, I'll jump in with my number five then. Go for um, it. My number five out of so many good moments is just the bit where Boney and the other cops are questioning the blood-soaked Amy after she's returned to the, <laughs> the world of the living. Again, Kim Dickens is so fucking good in this movie. And her in this like sea of men questioning this woman who's, again, just soaked in blood, someone else's blood. And they're all like all the other male cops are just basically trying to adore Amy. And Kim Dickens is the one who starts to see her for who she really is. And Rosamund Pike, who after this movie, I generally find terrifying in a way that really, <laughs> really excites me. Like the way she looks at her. It's one point, I want to say she's just like, that's right. And she also she has this kind of I don't even know what this voice is that she does. It's like she's like a real life, like evil Disney, like Maleficent mm. character. Like it's it's so pronounced and like calm and, and husky and beautiful and it's so good but yeah well, just there's definitely uh, a tension between the two of them there where like they are aware of like the other's bullshit you know mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. none of their none of the other people there are even like picking up on it but they, well, they know what's up if i remember correctly in the books it's a the book is a lot more evident of the other cops just being like like something a bitch to her or whatever yeah. you know like like the sexism is just rife in the book in that scene yeah, my honorable mention number two is the appearance of Clue number one. I uh, just <laughs> so, what a great kind of you know match of dialogue and visual there. Got I think clue. we found our first clue. <laughs> That's the thing too is rewatching this. I forgot how funny this movie mm-hmm. is. Because um, I think you and I saw this like opening night, opening weekend oh, together. There. Did we see it together? Yeah, we saw it together. I don't even remember that. And then I saw it one other time, and this was like when you and I watched it the other night. That was like my third viewing. Okay. Um, all right, so my my number four, or my honorable mention two, whatever you want to remember it, is um, just basically like, um, oh, what was it? The only time you ever felt good about yourself was when you were the man who was trying to impress this cunt. <laughs> Just the whole like he calls when her he cunt. like smashes her head into the wall. Well, it, it's funny because Nick basically lives up to some of her fictions about him. You know, like her her story is trying to make him look mm. bad, almost write him. Either she's getting at the at the core of him, or he's becoming what she's designed. Like she's better stage managed than than she thought. But like I know like there was something on the set because like the the movie changed like from the script to the actual filming and at one point fincher was just like he's gonna call her a cunt or maybe ben affleck says like he's gonna call her a cunt and everyone's like you can't use that word how dare you and then like fincher was like but what if she takes it and owns it and like throws it back at him like bullets and she absolutely does and i just love that line the only time you ever liked yourself was when you were trying to impress this cunt you know i know they did at least 18 takes of that where he like throws her head against the wall which is insane that they yeah. even did 18 like there's like a quote from rosamund pikes is that she was like started seeing stars after 18 takes. And so it's like, okay, so how many did you do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. My honorable mention number one would be 
just the uh, the little smile that Nick gives for the camera at, at that first press conference. And they're like, Nick, can we get some of you? You know, like the press is all like, you know, shouting at him. And he just like gives this like just the worst, most awful smile. Uh, uh-huh. This is the one I tweeted earlier t- uh, today. It's so perfectly encapsulates like like you you just see that and you think of like scott peterson and every other case that's out there about like the husband who killed his wife you know it's the the insincerity of it all can i can i just tack on to that when he takes the picture with the woman in the hallway and oh, he's i love like, that scene can you delete that <laughs> i love that scene just because he's aware like he's like genre aware you know it's like, hey, hey, can you delete that? And she's like, no. And then she starts to get all like freaky about it. So supposedly, like when Fisher praises him, he says, well, Ben Affleck was really smart about bringing his own exposure to the media to this role. And it's like, I think in that little scene where he's wishes that woman, you have the guy who's like, this is the charm that he's relied upon his entire life. And then, like you said, he's genre savvy enough to be like, this is not going to work well for me. Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah uh so what do you at your number three yeah our right, number three the the top three this is where it gets really hard my number three is the cool girl monologue montage mm, me too uh, amy's on the amy's on the run she's dying her hair she's driving she's commenting about the girls she sees on the road about like who they must be with based on their cool girl personas and then she gets into like who she had to be for Nick Dunn, and it is damning. The first line is, I wax strip my pussy raw. <laughs> and then the most damning of all is, perhaps, is I drank canned beer while watching Adam Sandler movies for him, which is unforgivable. And it culminates for me with Nick got lazy. He became someone I did not agree to marry. He actually expected me to love him unconditionally. Yeah, mine's pretty much the same, but I guess more of a focus on it. Just love the line. I'm so much happier now that I'm dead. I love yeah. the reveal of it. You know, you've, it's just like an hour plus into the movie. You theoretically don't know yet exactly what's going on. And then it's like, oh, shit. It's a, it's like a pressure valve being released and it's mm-hmm. joyful. Yeah. Um, this one's when it gets, this one gets tough. Mm-hmm. My number two is. Her love scene with Desi. <laughs> Amy completes her symphony of blood and she looks good and red. And that scene is just fucking bonkers. And it's so, so delicious. Um, again, Rosamund Pike. Goddamn. She could not be better in this movie. <laughs> yeah, my number two. I'm curious. I'm Now I'm curious about your number one, to be honest. Uh, I, I'm going to guess it's not this. Um, but this is just a scene I really liked. It's when uh, Boney and Gilpin there are confronting Nick about the pregnancy after the failed, uh, like, I don't know, candlelight rally or whatever that so was. It's, really, it's a really good scene. Yeah. Yeah. Just it ends with them smashing the glass and whatnot. You know, she's pregnant. Um, I mean, I, I absolutely love Kim Dickens. So I feel like I could have, like, just listed all of her scenes here for my top moments. But yeah, I just, I really like that scene. I really like the way Boney and Gilpin play off each other. Uh-huh. Um, and they're kind of like, their routine it's not necessarily good cop bad cop but like they kind of know how to work someone um yeah love that scene so i know you're a big fan of um shit what's the name of that movie zero effect zero effect so here's what i'm saying it was a reboot of zero effect but with her as daryl zero i mean i'm fine with it i'm just fine with anything kim dickens related 
she is so good in that scene. And again, that scene, that's that's the example from the lessons from the screenplay, just how it builds like the final, final bit of being so important. But when she's trying like her first example of all the things that don't make sense and she walks towards the living room and she turns back to Nick and she's mm-hmm. like, check this out. And she just stomps on the ground and all like the picture frames fall over. Mm-hmm. And she's like, huh, that's funny because not a single one of them had fallen over, you know, when your wife disappeared after that struggle. I mean, I will get to you later in Power Rankings, but I just I love the character of Detective Boney there. She's so not what you would expect as yeah. the detective in a movie like this. Yeah, I really like her, um, her, her, the way she assays this role. All right, so number ones, huh? Yeah, what do you uh, got? My number one is a follow-up from my uh, my number two. It's when Amy returns home covered in blood, staggers in Nick's arms, and he ends up almost dipping her like it's the poster from Gone of the Wind <laughs> while the media watches and devours this. Because this is like the the three sides of the story are all coming together. You got Nick, Amy, and those who are watching. And it's like, holy shit, can you imagine being in a thruple, a blood-soaked thruple with the media? But it's so... Like, I, I thought, oh man, this this movie will never... Like, rewatching this the other night, I thought this will never get past the high of her soaked in uh, Doogie Howser's blood. <laughs> and then she just dips into his arms. <laughs> well, I, I feel like she's she makes him do that basically she oh, collapses yeah, on purpose to, to pose that that image because she knows she, she's writing the story yeah mm-hmm. yeah my number one is when Amy kills Desi um, it's it's probably not good how turned on I get by that scene but mm-hmm. damn mm-hmm. I love I love just the, the blood everywhere her covered in it mm-hmm the score the way it starts kind of doing these like fades to black like in and out uh kind of matching the the kind of throbbing score there it's just Mm -hmm. incredible i don't know if people are tuning in for our super romantic romantic month of movies talking to two guys talking about gone girl both (laughs) very aroused um, I, I described this the other day to somebody as an erotic thriller and they were like, what are you talking about? I'm like, maybe you're watching it wrong. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Amy Dunn. I don't know. It's, I, I like a challenge. I don't, the idea that like, oh, this girl's going to make you into the, the best man you could be, or she might get you killed or, in, you know, imprisoned for life. I'm like, it's it's just like a hot iron in a fire. And like, no, no, you're no, like, you're oh, I, I can pick this. that up. And your friend's like, no, you can't. You're going to get burned. You're like, no, I got a good feeling about this one. I'm going to pick it up. Okay. Well, so, <laughs> so the guy who's just like, oh, I like Candace. Let me reframe this. Let me not say, no, no, you can't pick that up. I'm mm-hmm. going to be a better friend to you. Okay. okay. I'm going to reframe the question more accurately and make you really look at it okay you have to ask yourself are you a nick dunn or are you a scoot mcnary i hope i'm not scoot mm. i mean that would mm. be that would be the worry you know mm. yeah that's the question right yeah i don't know i mean i'm not pen affleck that's for fucking sure but <laughs> <laughs> i'm not some fucking six four hulk or whatever um with a massive dragon tattoo oh he didn't have it yet i don't think yeah it was still what the fuck is with that? I don't know. <laughs> I feel weird because, like, he's such a. 
I don't know what he says. I'm not saying I'm a good person. He's a laughable figure to me, and I don't know why. I don't know when they recorded the commentary for this, the director's commentary, but it seems like it's just, I don't like, maybe, maybe uh, David Fincher knew something, but because he's just like constantly dunking on Ben Affleck and his marriage through the whole thing. And it's like, huh. It comes off, though, in that kind of dunking where it's like, this is my good friend. And we all know that they're the exact opposite of this. And then like later on, it's like, this is my good friend and they're exactly this bitch. <laughs> like you really get the impression the way he frames Ben Affleck suggesting Emily Ratajkowski. Like David Fincher's not saying it, but he's definitely saying that like Ben Affleck either definitely hooked up with this chick or tried to hook up with her. The Just the one line is like something about how duplicit this he is. Yeah. Uh, what do you, what do you, should we talk about the casting here we might so, as well maybe this should you, be a category that should be a category the this was originally like thought of to come to adaptation developed to star reese witherspoon she opted it yeah which is such a different kind of movie I yeah think. it's much more tracy flickish i feel like i don't know if it's tracy flickish like I'm not saying Reese couldn't do the exact same script with the exact same director, but that's still a very different energy. Because she's, I don't, I, I think she's kind of moved a little bit past, you know, it's either Tracy Flick or this other thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I'm just having a hard time picturing it. So Rosemond Pike is 5'9, and let's see, Reese, I'm pretty sure Reese is like super short. Mm. Yeah, she's 5'1. See, that's, I just, I don't think it would be the same having like super short. Reese Witherspoon in a movie as opposed to Rosamund Pike, who, while she's not as tall as Ben Affleck, she's like tall enough for him, kind of, you know, where it doesn't look weird. Do you think it would have to be a recast of Ben Affleck? Yeah. You know what I was thinking, actually? Um, Ryan Philippe? People, people, no, people are tweeting various <laughs> stuff at us about this. He would never get cast, obviously, because he's not A-list enough, but like Ian Harding would probably mm-hmm. be a decent Nick Dunn. I, I thought a lot about who... It like is Ben Affleck perfect casting or is he not? I think he might be perfect casting because I really can't think of anyone else who kind of meets all the various criteria of a Nick Dunn who both has that kind of surface charm and seems like somebody who maybe would beat their wife. You're talking about Ben Affleck? Yeah. Oh, oh, as far as like A-list fuckboy, for sure. He's perfect casting. I agree. I think Rosamund Pike is like the dark horse, great casting of this movie. Though. Oh, she's fantastic as well. I, I just think Ben Affleck, I, I can't really think of anyone else who would embody the role in quite the same way. I feel like this is the role he was born to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to complaints. Do you have any? Uh, you know, this is a movie where don't think too hard about a lot of the details as far as like forensics, law and order, criminology, investigations. A lot of it falls apart under a close really? examination. Like what? Uh, yeah. Uh, like at one point when she's crying, please find Desi's cameras. Like you're going to find other footage on there that doesn't back up her story. No, nah, uh, I think the, the assumption is that the, her body, the footage only shows the outside, not the inside. So she it poses shows her something. entering. It shows her entering. But that was like right? months ago. That might her, not, that might not be there anymore. Yeah, it potentially shows her entering of her own accord. I I can hand wave away most of that. Like that's like more than a month old. It's probably not there anymore. Um, they should have washed her 
like of the blood and examined her because they seemingly only examined to see like to basically like a rape kit. Uh, like for the amount of blood seemingly spilled at the uh, the scene, like shouldn't there have been some kind of telltale sign of wounds on her body, even if they've healed? What are you talking about? Well, because the amount of blood that supposedly spilled in the kitchen. Oh, um, all over the house. Like, I don't know. She just, of blood. she just needs some sort of like you know head injury. I don't. I don't even know if that really even come up. Uh, little things that. You know, Amy's a human being. Uh, to be undone by those two white trash. So yeah, I feel like you're like screaming plot hole at stuff that is easily explained away. Uh, the thing is, it is it is easily explained away. You just have to like ignore some of that stuff it's and just bo- go with the ride. Got to watch out for Boyd Holbrook, man. You do have to watch out for Boyd Holbrook in all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my favorite detail, like my favorite innovation of the kind of thriller thing that I want to follow away from the book, is the like you can't save up your blood and then like spill it and fake a crime scene. Like like that doesn't work. They can test how old the blood is. Also, I think they can test like however you follow away for the, the urine for. Are you for, telling me that Mona's thing was wrong? A little bit. Uh, also, the, the when she takes the here's the test, thing. Do you think like, a, do you think a doctor is it? testing the age of urine for a pregnancy test? But you can very easily though. My point. So, but also the innovation that I like is when Gillian Flynn then has it like sloppily cleaned up. So like they find that they can't age the blood. That's, that's the genius part. That's how she like, I think hacks the system. What do you mean? So, so like if I, like I said, if I save up my blood for like weeks and mm-hmm. I just start spilling all over my kitchen to, mm-hmm. to put suspicion on somebody like somebody at convention come along and be like, well, we tested the blood and it's definitely him, but it's like weeks old. So how, one, how does she hack the system? So basically by spilling the blood and then cleaning it up so poorly that you have the traces of blood, but you mm-hmm. can't like test it well enough. Okay. That's the smart part, I think. So what's your complaint then? I was talking about it. I was saying innovation. I pivoted over to innovation. Okay. You hear me when I said I pivoted over to innovations? All right. Yeah. What's your complaints? Well, I, I guess the way you highlighted Gillian Flynn there, I thought you were making a drawing a cron- contrast between the book and the movie, but okay. No, um, I mean, it's, of the details taken over from the book yeah i really only have one complaint with this movie is that i do not believe that there's anyone named margo in america who goes by go i just feel like that's a writerly affectation that like nobody named margo actually responds to go in real life that just every time he calls her go it annoys me it annoyed me in the book too also i have a complaint Hmm. why is carrie coon so good she's very good in this movie this was sort of like big kind of I don't know. I think she might have been on the leftovers by now, but this is one of her first big showcases. Like when you watch the movie, she is Margot. And at the same time, it's like, I've seen her in so many other things now where I'm like, she could have been Amy. Like, holy shit. She could have dined on the role of Amy. That would have been very different. Very different, but it would be fun. Hmm. Did you get to the the Lost Night with uh, Bill Pullman in the center season two? No, I haven't got there yet. Oh, that's uh, if you want a weird boner, my friend. Oh yeah, okay. Oh yeah. Why didn't you say so before? <laughs> weird boners. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, just talk general discussion here about the movie. <sighs> Opens yeah. up with that wonderful line of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> As he caresses her wig. Yeah. Yeah. When I think of my wife. I always think of the back of her head. 
I picture cracking her lovely skull and spooling her brain trying to get answers. So the the question about this movie for people when who does had, that happen? For people who had not read the book, I always to me, like the one thing I think when I watch this movie is I feel like it's too obvious that Ben Affleck didn't do it. But yeah. I don't know if that's just me knowing that already going into it. Mm. Cause they, they do try. I mean, it's, I almost feel like they, they try, but like too subtly, like the, cause the, one of the first shots that we see, we get all these like shots of like this Missouri town, you know, and how mm-hmm. kind of like slightly run down decrepit it is. And then it's <laughs> just this shot of Ben Affleck who's just wheeled out his garbage can. And he's just mm-hmm. like kind of staring around kind of like this weird look on his face. And like, if you were like a kind of genre savvy, kind of clever that, person, uh, you might be like, Oh shit, her body's in the trash. Yeah, yeah, can. That's, that's the trunk and rope. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the hint, right? Start of the movie, except it's not. And I almost feel like that's like too subtle, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the hints that he could be the killer are almost too clever by half. What I think is interesting about that that potential read is that I, I do not believe that Affleck is ever playing the role like he could remotely be the killer. Yeah, that's probably true. I think when you're reading the book, there are points when you're like, do you really think that he did do it? Yeah, yeah. But that's that's easier to do, I think, with a book, especially mm-hmm. with the kind of murky interiorness of it all. Like, especially in the book, the the secretive nature of the phone. Yeah. The phone works much better. Whereas in the movie, it doesn't ever play like he's, you can see him checking it a couple of times, but you gotta be like really eagle eyed to notice it, but it doesn't, it doesn't ever feel like, I don't know. Like it never, it never screams like secret murderer. To well, me, there's, you know, there's no moment in the book where it's like it, it, the chapter ends with like, that was the third lie Nick had told in that interview or something like that. And you're like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. His bar, aka the bar. It's, I mean, the movie's got a very subtle humor. He brings the latest board game to the bar. It's mastermind. Yeah. the The first few scenes here are a little bit expositiony, more mm-hmm. so than usual. Um, I think they would be helped a little bit if Ben Affleck wasn't mumbling quite as much. Uh, but I do like that he just like orders a whiskey at like you know eleven a.m. or whatever it says. Also, the board game shelf is very meta to all the the little jokes that we played with Nick and Amy. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny the first few scenes because it's very expositiony. It's just him and Margo. It's a little casual, and then we get these like sides of Amy, mm-hmm. <laughs> where she's like new, newly in love with this guy, and it's like interesting, interesting. Um, also, like New York, Nick has a move where he knows the city so well that he knows when this bakery will like, have their sugar storm. That's a pretty good move, yeah. I mean, also, I guess you gotta hope that you're with somebody who isn't like, ew, gross, and like runs out of the way. Oh, yeah, but also, you know, Amy's tough. She's a bad, bad bitch because she's gonna go down an alleyway of a man she's just met who has a villainous chin. <laughs> mm. Do these elevators still exist in New York? I guess they do. I've never been in one of these, like where it's like you can see through it outside, and you have to like pull the grate over. I want to, yeah, I want to be on one of those, not so much the freight ones, but just the regular ones, like they're built to the side of a staircase where you have like the little, not great, but like that little um, accordion thing. Yeah, that whatever thing that you, that you pull over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Rosamund Pike, there's something about her voice and the register that she talks in the whole time that 
is so unique. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's seductive, but also kind of haunting. Because she's British, right? I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> How sad is it that, like myself, I assume a lot of people's first exposure to her was potentially die another, die another day. day. Yeah. <laughs> and then for like the nothing like female lead role. Even in Jack Reacher, she's really good. Mm-hmm. Also in that movie. Holy tits. Holy shit. <laughs> I see, I was just silent and waiting for you to make the comment on it. Yeah. Well, I was reading your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so uh, oh. they meet in the past. He goes down on her. It's good, apparently. And then they're playing yeah. the game of life back in public. I never got the point. I mean, this bar seems like a pretty cool setup. I mean, then... In the book, you get in a lot more of like kind of the economic situation. Like, I think it takes place like only a couple of years into the recession. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to move back to Missouri and all that. Like, I don't know. Missouri seems like a horrible place to me from mm-hmm. reading Gillian Flynn's novels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my father's from Missouri. Oh, there you go. So let me confirm nothing good happens in Missouri. <laughs> um, also, Nick Dunn is an adult. He never had a, his own pair of scissors until he met this woman. Yeah, I have scissors. I don't know. What, what you, you never need like, I don't know, wrap a present or something. Yeah, seriously. You've never had to cut something. <laughs> what the shit? <laughs> I mean, it's great, man, that you're good at like uh kind of linkus and all. Fantastic. Thumbs up. Good for you, but like. Also, have some scissors. What do you think Nick pays in rent here? Because this place is leased. Ooh, it's New York. It's no, no, no. I, I, I'm not talking about New York. I'm talking about Missouri here. Oh, the Missouri house? The, the fucking massive Mc, fucking the, McMansion? Exactly, yeah. What do you think? Like uh, 2000 2000 a month? I'm, yeah, let's say, I'll to differentiate. Let me say 2500 Okay. Also, okay, the bar. Which not as clever as a name as yeah. maybe you think. Well, like, that, that's the point, though, is that it's not as clever as you think. Yeah, I could see owning a bar. I don't want to work there. Well, then you gotta hire people. I mean, I I think he works there, so he doesn't have to pay people to work there. Still, that's that's a that's a serious flaw for me. Like, if it's like I have to work there for several years before I can afford to hire people, that business plan is no. I don't know. I like the idea of being able to work at a bar but not like because you're the owner you don't have to do all the shit you don't want to do you know you're just mm-hmm. there like polishing a glass the whole time pretty much i think you, you your mind's been poisoned by the movies okay. you're thinking this is an emily fields thing <laughs> where you can look over to your coworker and be cover like for cover for me but you can't because you're the owner <laughs> who's gonna fire you <laughs> buy a bar and all of a sudden everyone thinks they're the rick casablanca yeah yeah, this house is massive. Um, also, I love the detail that... The cat uh, has its own room. <laughs> yeah, I love the cat. I love in the behind-the-scenes stuff that they shot all the interiors on a soundstage. And okay. the, all like the outdoor lights and like you know scenery you see is all CGI, which is insane to me. But Even when like the... Oh, that's fascinating. For the bit when like Margot comes home or comes to the house and like the lights are all shining through into the dark yeah. room. She's like, uh-huh. this is the cat. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's really impressive. I I mean, there's like videos you can find out there on YouTube that show all the CGI that happens mm-hmm. in this movie that you would never expect to be there because it's not like an alien or something. Um, 
it's amazing how much computer effects happen in movies like this that you just would never notice. I mean, but that's Fincher though. Fincher mm-hmm. is an ILM just, guy. He knows what he knows what he can do with uh, visual effects. But he's not just about like this is the right way to like to actually block the stories. This is the way to frame it. So how they have the camera move. Like he is technical in all the senses. I mean, there's a fucking CGI sex scene in Fight Club. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it was because if they had shot in real light, like it would be too blown out. And so it's like, all right, we're just going to shoot all the interiors on green with green screen windows and we'll fix it in post and it'll look perfect. Wasn't like part of the the post-production issues with Panic Room is they were essentially using new technology to like shoot it even darker than usual. Yeah, yeah. And then to change the lighting as they saw fit later on. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, Nick, uh, he's at the bar and then he gets a call from a neighbor that uh, his cat's outside. So he has to go drive home, put the cat back inside. And then he notices, oh, that's weird. There's like a overturned, you know, table and ottoman. There's broken glass. Like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. So he's got to call the police. And this is when Detective Boney, Rhonda Boney, Kim Dickens shows up with her partner, Patrick Fugit, who, like, I has he done anything since this? Mr. Almost Famous? I don't know. Yeah. Probably. I, I like him a lot more in this than Almost Famous, that's for sure. He, like you said, they bounce off each other real well. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly like Holmes and Watson, but uh, well, it's like it's sometimes it seems choreographed and sometimes not. Like I just mm-hmm. I like the rhythm. But yeah, so uh, they go around. You know, they see the cat. I like how the cat's just waiting in the cat room. Something about that shot that I find uh, waiting. In the, no, the cat's waiting in the bedroom. Is it in the bedroom? Okay, yeah. That's, that's the interesting yeah, that's right. detail is the cat's not in the cat room. The cat's in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's even now you're already thinking like, okay, your wife seems to be missing. There's something mm-hmm. weird at your house. You call the cops. Like, do you follow them upstairs or not? You know, like how how are you supposed to behave? I feel like this movie really digs into that idea of like there's no right way to act when you're a suspect or you know yeah. you, that you will be a suspect, you know? Well, just... Granted, this is a very different situation for you and I to discuss with sure. our skin color as opposed to other people. Mm-hmm. But still, how you interact with authority is always very weird. Um, but also, like uh, Kim Dickens, like I think a lot of actors in their scene work, they think, okay, the, they think the example like, oh, I'm on the phone. So like, I have to hold the phone. I have to fiddle off a pen. I have to do all this stuff. Like the art of just thinking Mm-hmm. And like having the audience be on the edge of their seat, she she nails that. And just the little details, like just putting like a little post-it note on a, little a, post-it on a spot. Notes. Well, and then yeah. kind of just the worried looks that Nick gives. Because despite Nick being kind of a doofus, like he's not an idiot. And so he knows, even in this moment, he must know that like I need to be, I need to portray myself as like very much, I don't know what's going on. I'm concerned. Yeah. You know, and it's like that gets in your head, I think. And I, I think he does a good job portraying that in the performance where it's like he's trying to act as casual, but but concerned, but not, you know, too concerned, like he's guilty as possible. Mm-hmm. And I just I like how the movie knows that you, the audience, are going to be watching him that way the whole time. And it kind of plays with you. Well, Amy tells us like he's really good when he has to pretend to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. 
and also Ben Affleck has a duplicitous nature. But that's a good hot take of yours. We should have a Ringer podcast. Oh, okay. Oh, and then we get the concept of Amazing Amy. Yeah. Amy Dunn grew up uh, having a fictional series of children's books written kind of about her. Yeah, I know. They, they, he says, uh, they stole your life. And she says, was it, they fixed it? (laughs) Um, I just love that. She gets cut from the team. She becomes like the head of the team, the captain of the team in the next book. I fucking love those details. I love that backstory for her. I really enjoy her parents in this. Also, it's a fun exercise. If you're ever out in public with your significant other of the female variety, why don't you go up to a bunch of strangers and let them know that she has a world-class vagina and see how that goes over. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. This proposal is... I don't know. The whole public thing, I always get like, it's a movie, so whatever, you know. But Unless you're performing a song and it's really, really good, mm-hmm. maybe don't do it in public. Maybe don't do it in public. Just got to go talk to some bloggers. You're going to do it in public, aren't you? Oh, fuck no. Okay. I mean, these people all just have to sit here and watch this like weird flirting banter is in this flashback here as he's uh, working his way out to proposing to Amy. I think I think people are into that up to a point. And I, I would like make an excuse at some point in here to get out of here. You can't see other people. You can't stand other people's happiness. I just, I don't like, I feel like it's like, no, go have your own moment. I don't want to be present for this. You don't want to be there for the chemistry? No. Okay. No, I, I don't even like going to weddings. I feel like it's it's just like too personal. Mm, interesting. I love mm-hmm. weddings. You love weddings? Mm-hmm. I only show up for the dancing, but I love weddings. Mm. Yeah, I hate weddings. Well, fine. Yeah. I can't wait till I have to take you as my date to a wedding. <laughs> Somebody write that fanfic. <laughs> so then we, I like how we cut back from, you know, this happy engagement moment. And it's, it's even it's sort of a match cut to like him kissing Amy to somebody swabbing his inside of his mouth with a yeah. toothpick. Or not yeah. toothpick, a, 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 what do they call that? A Q-tip for uh, yeah. DNA there. Just to rule it out. I love how they always did that. It's just, just to rule it out. out. And it, the movie's smart enough to not be like, that was a DNA test. You know, like they, they know that you know enough about like true crime shit to, well, to kind yeah, of get I mean, what's going on. If you get this movie, you're aware of like our modern culture. Mm-hmm. You've seen the shows or what have you. Like you're, you're going to fucking get it. Um, also, Nick is the kind of guy that like he thinks it would be fun just to hum the Law and Order theme in the police station. Yeah. And they're just like not smiling at all. Uh, well, just the uh, you know you don't know your wife's you know who your wife's friends are. You don't know where she what she does all day. You don't know her blood type. Oh, let me let me make this my retroactive top six moment is uh, when when he leaves and Patrick <laughs> Fugue is like, should I know my wife's blood type? And she's just like, no. Nah. Yeah, I to be honest, I don't know my own blood type. So seriously, I always get a little like a uh, little self conscious during the scene. I'm like, oh shit, and I should really go look that up. I wish I had O. That'd be fun. O positive. Yeah. Universal then, donor. Then I could keep it all to myself. Mm. You'd be like Jack, donating to Boone. We'll flew like a bamboo tube. Nah, uh-huh. I let Boone die. He's and like a, demands. What was that like a sea urchin or something? Sea urchin needle. Do you remember like? When he's going to use the door to like, yeah, <laughs> <you take a laughs> yes, I do. And 
I remember watching this like by myself and thinking like, oh shit, this show is hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> I miss Lost. Indeed. I love the way that uh, um, Boney says, the bar. <laughs> well, and she's like, oh yeah, cool name. Like, that's like highlighted more in the book, but it's still here. It's like, yeah, your name's not that cool, you know? <laughs> well, see, he says it like he wants praise. Yeah. I own the bar. And she's just like, oh, yeah, the bar. Interesting oh, name. <laughs> moment number seven here. After she, like, kind of, like, like, I almost feel like she's just toying with him. Like, you haven't called, you're like, you know, Amy's parents? Get out there and do it, you know? Even though she's, like, been monopolizing him this whole time. And then he's on the phone. And he's just oh, yeah, like, yeah. oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, fine. Hold on. And he's just like, yeah, my, my. You know, mother-in-law. My mother-in-law to speak wants to, to you. Yeah. <laughs> but she knows. Like, she's followed him out. There. Like, I think she's aware that's going to happen. Because mm-hmm. she's like, this guy is just a fucking dipshit. Well, I think that's the thing about, like, a guy like Nick Dunn. He wants a significant other he can fuck. But then he wants her to also be his mother. He wants. I think that's the kind of interaction of all women. He wants to be, like, the whole king of queens. Like, I've got the the wife who like handles all the uh the hard stuff to think about and i'm just the doofus or at least that's what he's turned into over time that sounds like the bleakest mm-hmm. hellscape you can imagine being like king of queens world all right that's, about, that's not romantic at all it's gonna let's make us more romantic um yeah I just, well we have our first clue I forgot all about that. That's so fucking funny. God, she's so good. Um, my notes are kind of bare for large portions of this movie. What's next? Yeah, so he has to take his dad back. They don't really do a ton with the dad thing. It's just kind of understood oh, no. that the dad is like, he's got Alzheimer's or something. Maybe he's in assisted living and he's like very angry, it seems like. And they don't have a good relationship. I mean, there's little details with the Nick situation where it's like the it's got that great thing where you can see where they come from and then they explode and they make him look bad you know and the mm-hmm. the one the woman's like the, the one police officer's like we've been trying to call you all day and he's like i've been right fucking there you know yeah yeah and then like, he gets angry that and of course of that's when boney yeah yeah that's when boney comes around and it's like that's going to make you look bad even though it's potentially nothing to do with this situation mm-hmm. um and then like he doesn't even like see his dad in he's just like yeah 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 take this crotchety old fuck Oh, he's, a, he's like, uh, he's checking the phone while driving the dad. Because the dad's in such dementia or whatever. He's not going to know that he's like calling a side piece. Yeah. Nope. Uh, we get the flashbacks. I think it's his year two cotton anniversary where they've got each other the same sheets. It's like mm-hmm. this was when they're still living in New York when they were still very much on the same wavelength, you know. Do you think this is real? Just flashbacks? Yeah. This, yeah. Like them getting the same sheets? Yeah. Okay. For sure. So yeah. Nick's, Nick's trying. No, I think that was the whole idea is that it started off well. It was already only when the, like the recession hits, they both get laid off. Then they have to move back to Missouri. That like that was when Nick kind of like gave up on their marriage mm. and, you know, eventually starts cheating on her. So she's got to plan her revenge. I think I don't think it was like this wasn't like some master plan from the beginning that she was going to screw this guy over. No, 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 no. I mean, do you think at a certain point, though, the journal entries become fully fictional? I think that doesn't start until after the move to Missouri. Okay. Because he's definitely trying if they're both getting the same sheets. And that's the nice thing mm-hmm. is when two people are in the same wavelength, that's always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, have we skipped over the uh, 
the always hilarious but shocking Margo line. Uh, which one? The there's no good gift for the wood anniversary. Oh yeah, that was way back, way way <laughs> okay. back. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. I mean, we should probably get moving because we got like a whole two hours of movie to go through let's, here. Let's get moving. Yeah, he's sleeping at Margo's for the night. That would kind of suck if you didn't have somebody who like lives in the area that you could crash at. And it's like, oh, my house is gonna be a crime scene for who knows how long. Yeah. The parents show up. These are like just the perfect hippie parents. They don't really go into it a ton in the movie here, but it's like they wrote the amazing Amy books and they're kind of like very passive aggressively criticizing their daughter through all of them. And it mm-hmm. made them a lot of money that they eventually lost due to some bad investments or something. And being dropped by their publisher. Being dropped. Yeah. Well, where are they spending all the money on? Mm-hmm. Back taxes. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, they're great. And just the, uh... When they show up for the the press conference and they've got a website and they've got a phone number you can call. And these and giant we, photographs of her, yeah. Well, just when when Nick makes his little, you know, like two sentences to the media and then like he steps away thinking this is over. Mm-hmm. And like the Elliots are like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it's just and then he just looks bad. And it's like it's that weird thing where like the idea that you're supposed to be some sort of PR expert because your wife got kidnapped yeah. or, or, you know, potentially murdered, you know, like it, in reality, it's ridiculous the way we treat these people, but we're usually right, which is mm-hmm. kind of, you know, well, it becomes interesting too, when it comes to a trial, like look at yeah. how Scott Peterson or even uh, what's his name? Zimmerman's oh, fuck personal, that personal appearance change, but like Zimmerman, like he gets, really really heavy and the idea is like oh look at me i'm a harmless guy there's no way i i killed this boy mm-hmm. it's like yeah you fucking did um but then of course stupid nick does his stupid smile his smile because that's kind of his thing which i don't know if they necessarily communicate in ways other than just him telling you you know but like that's that's his whole deal is he's he, he's a pleaser he's a people pleaser yeah wants to put people at ease yeah um so they they start going through the treasure hunt, the police, to try to get clues. Um, I love the detail when they get to his office. They decipher that clue. They get to his office. Boney, of course, runs a finger over the empty book ideas box. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, this like and, weird scavenger hunt anniversary clues that Amy would leave. Uh, this scavenger hunt is basically a big fuck you to him because it's all about his affair. Yeah. Which, though, I mean... If one side of the relationship is doing this level of, let's say that Amy's not playing a scam. Like if your relationship consists of one side doing this kind of level of extravagance and you're cool with it, that's great. On the other side is just like, I don't know what to get you for a gift. That's fucked. Like, well, I think that's the problems. That's the whole idea of like whether or not this is passive aggressive though. If, yeah. if it's someone's going, making these like insanely detailed scavenger hunts every year for your anniversary. And you feel like you are like have to live up to it. It's like all these weird clues that it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I can't re- can't believe you didn't remember that reference. That one time I was sick and I ate this yeah. kind of ice cream or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's just it's just designed to make you feel bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, that's that's how he's come to internalize it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's like it's like using the other person to hurt yourself too mm-hmm. by setting up that impossible standard. Uh, of course, so Nancy Grace, fake Nancy Grace has her headline: Nick Dunn's killer smile. Um, this is when so he, for, he goes to his uh, dad's house because he knows he he kind of knows what the clue is, even though he claims he doesn't. Goes the there, house, yeah, yeah, finds a new clue immediately, but then the alarm doesn't work, and so the cops show up immediately. I love that it's just like, oh, you followed me, 
and she's like not really answering. She's yeah. like, "Oh, is this a I thought this was a brown house?" And he's like, "Nope, blue." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he won't answer the that inside joke. Um so for a while, Nick is playing the part of like the the sad, concerned husband. He's got grief daddy energy. Um and then we start to see in the flashbacks, the journal entries when it starts to go bad in Missouri. And uh, well, it goes bad in New York first, where they lose. Their it goes jobs. bad in New York, but like when they yeah. get to Missouri, and he's just like fucking her from behind over the dresser, <laughs> and the voiceover is Nick uses me for sex when he wants, and then as it's done, he's like, "Woo, let's get out back tonight." <laughs> out back, what a perfect detail, yeah. I love how much Gilpin, uh, Officer Gilpin, just hates uh, Nick. It's just yeah. like, oh, look at that, he's being a good guy, he's getting the homeless guy some donuts. And she's like, yeah. oh, you really don't like him, do you? Oh, and then, like, his, I mean, his mother-in-law's mad because it's, like, I don't know. It's like he's not acting the right way. And it's like, how is one supposed to act in a moment like this? Right, yeah. My mother raised me to, like, be nice to people and to thank them for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, like, like a- there's, like, the whole flock of, like, young women, maybe single, maybe not, who are, like, I don't know, or just, like, there to be a part of it. Grief daddy energy. Yeah. yeah. And they have people like scouring waterways and fields and what have you. Well, it's so, it's like we've kind of, we're so familiar with all this imagery now, you know, mm-hmm. like you, there's like shots of like her name on like the signs and billboards. And it's like, oh, yes, it's the search party. And they're doing that thing where they all walk in a line like that and like poke the grass. And like it does such a good job of immersing you in. For for whatever reason, like we're all very familiar with all the kind of aesthetics and iconography of the missing girl at this point, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and furthering the nightmare of Missouri, I love the post-apocalyptic mall they have. Yeah, <laughs> which which is just cool. And of course it's such a Fincher thing too, that he's just going to run with just the way it's lit and it's so dark and it's such a nightmare, but like the, how can fucking convenient is it for Amy and her story that this dude can be found by the cops and tell the story of her wanting a gun and how desperate she was for it. <laughs> worried for her life. Like, does she pay this guy? <laughs> oh, and I think it's something where she does it. And then if the cops don't pick it up on their own, she's going to like, Called call the tip up. line at a certain point and tip him off to it. Mm-hmm. Like she did for what's the one she, that she does that for the, the woodshed, I think the woodshed. Yeah. And they come up, they come out days later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but also the little details too. Like he makes a mention of like the homeless that he sees in the neighborhood. And so they, they translate that as you keep trying to push us off to like a drifter. Mm-hmm. Who might have committed this crime and left? Somebody who's a completely unfindable by the police. So of course we find out who's on the other end of the mysterious burner phone phone calls. It's Emily Ratajkowski, Andy, who is one of Nick's students that he's been <laughs> fucking for like a year and a half. Is it? Yeah, this is a long time. We should mention it at some point earlier. The kind of uh, prospect of Desi Collins is mentioned. Like we see a photo of him and Amy. And it was like, oh, yeah, he's obsessed with her and had a nervous breakdown after they broke up or whatever. So we kind of like have laid that early. So we'll get to that later. And that's that's some of the stuff from the book that I don't know if it's super necessary, but it doesn't make like Desi's mom doesn't show up. Um, 
Yeah, so Nick brings Andy over to Margot's place in the middle of the Where night. Where he's crashing. Yeah, man, bringing her inside and then fucking her on the couch. And then sleeping over. Yeah. <laughs> sleeping over undressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but Andy may be living her best life. How do I know that? Girl can't remember where she left her underwear. <laughs> She says, let me check my red panty inventory at one point. Yeah. I yeah. love the uh, the score and the imagery when it kind of flashes back to the funeral of Nick's mom here. And the mm-hmm. way that it, Amy feels so separated from everything. She's like, you know, I don't exist in this life anymore, basically. Like, I'm something to be jettisoned. Yeah. Uh, so, like, the next morning after some flashbacks and stuff, you know, Nick wakes up. Oh, shit. We fell asleep. He's pulling his pants back on. He's pushing her out the door. And it's this great thing where he's just kind of like, woof. Because like he actually checks like yeah. Margot's door to make sure it's closed. And he's like, oh, I didn't get to find out. And then he turns around. And you just get the, you, you fucking, fucking idiot. <laughs> you fucking asshole. Busted. Because Margot has that sense that women have. And she kept asking. Like, Was there something there anything you're not else? telling me? Yeah. Is there anything else I need to know? Like, I, I, I will be on your side. If you've done something shitty, I'll believe in you for why you did it. But like, I need to know. And he's like, nah, I'm a good guy. Fill his chin. Yeah. Yeah. We should also mention there's another flashback in here. This is maybe the first uh, kind of doctored or, you know, fictitious one where he, they get in a fight and he eventually kind of like throws her down and she hits her head. Um, Mm -hmm. But the, I love the first part of the fight where she's like, Look, don't don't make me that that person that that nagging shrew. That's not who I'm trying to be in this relationship, you know. And like he's just being a complete dick about it. This to me feels like at least some of this stuff is real and did happen. And like yeah. maybe she just like added the the thing about hitting her head at the end. Well, what's fascinating is so Nick has this empty book ideas thing, and he's the classic guy of like. I'm working on my novel. How am I working on my novel? I'm buying a video game system. I'm buying a bar. I'm moving here. I'm doing that. I'm I'm doing things. She's actually writing (laughs) her novel (laughs) based on their lives. (laughs) Maybe not yet, but soon she will be. Yeah. Well, essentially this whole thing is her fucking masterpiece. You know, Um, Uh the the only diss I have on uh, Patrick Fugit, Mr. Almost Famous, is he assumes that, that the reason they're not rushing to arrest Nick is that Bonnie must have a crush on him. And then philosophically, they have their their kind of they explain who they are in one one exchange. Where he's just like, "Haven't you ever heard of like Occam's Razor? You know, or the most simplest explanation is usually the right one." And she's like, "Actually, I've never found that to be true." I mean, it, it doesn't reflect well on uh, Officer Gilpin there, but I do like that exchange there where he's like, "I think you've got a crush on him." And she's like, "Don't say that," uh, because it I don't know it feels real and you know, like naturalistic i guess that these two aren't like perfect foils for each other just like slinging mm-hmm. one-liners at each other it's like no they they kind of butt heads occasionally They're, they don't exactly see eye to eye 100 percent of the time well and there's no way that he can completely understand her like he's he's a young dude who's not even i think a detective yeah he's just an officer yeah um somewhere that should have been on my my honorable mentions is the candlelight vigil yeah, that's what it's a fucking a scene. Noel Hawthorne there. Where's uh, your wife, man. Nick? Where's your pregnant wife? The, the way he just kind of has to like slow, slowly walk away and then kind of like jog away, you know, as these people are following him and all the media's going nuts. 
And it's just a complete shit show of a, like a public appearance there. Because this is, is right after he's addressed. She's like, hey, I know there's a lot of questions about me. I just want to say I had nothing to do with her disappearance. And it's like, where's your wife, Nick? What is Andy mouth to him? Uh, it's probably like, fuck you or something. Because it, he's talking about how much he loves his wife. And like yeah, he yeah. hopes that she, you know, comes back or whatever. And it's, also, like, it's like, like she's then betrayed, you know. And so now. Oh, I think she's asshole. I think that's what she's saying. There's like 20 comedians that we keep seeing guest starring or appearing on the same shows over and over again. One of them is Casey Wilson. Do not sleep on Casey Wilson. She is she is fantastic. Is that Noel Hawthorne? Yeah, but like she perfectly nails the caricature of this person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's got like a fucking like quad stroller that she pushes around. Yes. She's constantly <laughs> pumping out kids. Yeah. Uh, so I guess Margot never even goes to her own shed, which is cool. That's <laughs> oh, a woodshed. Yeah. I mean, I if you've got that much fucking loot and swag, like delivered to another person's shed and they haven't caught you. Well, has it all Amy been deserves, there the whole time? Amy deserves to get away. Well, it had to be. She left town, right? Yeah, but I mean, she could have had it somewhere else and then just like moved it at the last minute, you know? Either way. I don't Amy think it's been there for like a year this. or something. Amy deserves to get away with all of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, like you said, like the, the cacophony of sounds as he finds that. He's figured out the, the woodshed uh, clue. And then we get the great line. I'm so much happier now that I'm dead. Mm. And it's like this is beautiful pressure valve has been released and something twisted and glorious has come out. And you get Amy's pens that she's been writing her diary with. And she's like throwing them away I through like the, the window. Stork. I like the stork yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there is a scene in here where Margot has been. It's like she's not confronting Nick, but she's like, is there anything you need to tell me? He's just like he's waiting for her to accuse him pretty much. And she's mm-hmm. like, I would never do that. But like you yeah. need to tell me everything. Well, there's there's some subtle things there too. As we're talking about Clue Three, talking about the Wood Anniversary, the cops are like finding the furnace with the diary where things burn. And, and she, like she he's wants going the through the evidence. Yeah, he's going through the evidence in the woodshed. I kind of like that. It's it's subtle, but it's it's kind of interesting. Um, I mean, it's, it's still, the way uh, that uh, Fincher, the way he'll do his scenes where at, at one point. They when he's talking to Tanner Bolt and Tanner's like, okay, so they they found something at your first clue and your third clue. What well, they find second clue, and then it just it cuts to the house and there's like police tape on it. And he's like, well, I guess we can assume they found whatever's in there. And that's it. That's like the whole scene because yeah. he knows that like you don't need anything else to like convey that information. Well, and and it it but it's not just like a director trusting his audience and not wanting to get into the shit of it. They've created a character that's so smart and pragmatic. Cause I think he says something like, well, we just have to assume it's pretty bad. Yeah. And it's like, okay, what do we do next? What, how do we move on? Um, I love the montage of, like, I think this is the great indictment of our society. Currently, Amy does like the research on how to fake a murderer. Or fake a murderer. <laughs> With all her and true crime books and the true crime books, the fucking shows that she's watching, which it's like, man, like Netflix is like her co-conspirator. It's just like how to fake a pregnancy. Find a local idiot. Yeah. And like the timing, because I want to say when she first encounters Noel Hawthorne, she's not pregnant. Yeah, yeah. But it's like the smartness of Amy, like she just knows. Give it a couple months. <laughs> the, the look on uh, Noel Hawthorne's face as she comes out of the bathroom because the toilet doesn't work. It all cracks me up. 
<laughs> and she's like just walking over to uh Affleck as he's like watching the game or something, and she's like, Oh, can you sign this? That's like yeah. the insurance papers. Yeah. I again, I think it's Joss Whedon who talked about like sometimes for drama, like the the actor you need to cast is a comedian. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know that it's always gonna work out for you, but I think if comedy is done right, a good comedian knows how to get to the core of an emotion mm-hmm. real quick. And that's the beat of Casey Wilson. Yeah, love- he's like figured out she stage managed me. I love there's a shot here. It's when it's going through like her kind of evil machinations where it's like it's morning and he's just coming home and mm-hmm. she's like standing in the shadows of the kitchen drinking for coffee as she watches him. It's uh, delicious. Yeah. Oh, I just, I'm I'm rooting for her. Like, I don't necessarily think that Nick is like a guy deserving of going to jail, but the whole time. I'm rooting for Amy. So in whatever thing where I'm rooting for team Joe, like, I don't know. What do you think of her disguise? Her on, her on the run. It's pretty good. She's, I think so. They, they, in in a little more in the book, it talks about how much like fast food she's eating constantly. I mean, you just kind of see it, you know, and you kind of have to infer, but it's like, she's kind of trying to put on weight and she cuts her hair and she gives herself an ugly dye job. And then she injures herself with a hammer. Jesus Christ. I wonder how many takes of that they did. Um, and then you seem to be really fascinated by that the other night. Was I? Yeah, you were okay. like, ooh, ooh. I think I think the the key to her disguise. I mean, if I were to give Amy a note, I would be like, don't even go outside of your place. Like, why why do you need to be seen at all? You know, like I would say, do not watch a special based around yourself with another person. When you're disguised, I think it's, it's she starts to get she starts to feel herself, you know. But yeah, I, I would say just don't don't even go outside. There's no reason to go to the pool, you know, like hide inside your your no, I'm just, crash place. Yeah, I hear you, but I'm just saying you don't need to watch that with that that fucking chick. Like, yeah, you don't, you don't need to like edge lord Clark Kent <laughs> this whole thing. <laughs> but you I think I think the idea I, is that she's trying to present herself as like, oh look, it's a it's a battered wife or girlfriend. She's hiding the bruise. Like no one's going to see anything else except that. My only problem with her plan from the very beginning was that the coup de gras was to throw herself in the river. Well, I think that was when she was in a very dark place and she, she kind of is changing her mind about it where after a while, as she starts to get into the frame job, she takes those post-it notes off her calendar. Well, but also I think she has all of these like parachutes built into it. Anyways, where each month on the same day, it's like kill self. Kill self, kill self. Like, but she's like not really doesn't want to do this at yeah, all. She's yeah. not totally ready to commit. She knows it would be the ultimate way to frame him. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the body is what you really need to convict. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she does. I don't think she ever really wants to. Habeas corpus. Um, also, when she's Googling herself, the hotline phone number is wrong on the website, but oh, whatever. Okay. Typos happen. Um, and then. One of the best characters in the movie shows up. Boyd Holbrook. One of the other best characters in the movie shows Tanner up. Tanner Bolt. Tanner Bolt. What a <laughs> fucking name. I mean, like, like J-Law, why aren't you marrying Tanner Bolts? Why are you marrying guys named Cook? Yeah. <laughs> also, fucking Scoot Meningary shows up. I just love I, Tanner Bolts. Just like, Nick, I've been waiting for you to call me. <laughs> I will say, though, the one big change from the book, which it makes sense, but... It's still, it's like when you've read the book, you're like, ah, is that in the book, Nick is the one who's resistant. Like Nick doesn't 
like it's Tanner's idea to do what Nick does in the movie, basically to be like, no, no, we got to like the solution is to to get Amy to come back. You got to like be the man you're supposed to be. That's all Tanner in the book, not Nick. And instead, Nick is like, no, 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 I know what I'm doing. I'm going to not going to listen to my lawyer. This is the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think because of the economy of the movie and how far we are into it, they had to kind of lessen Tanner Bolt. Uh And so he remains more of like a a stylistic figure. Yeah. Twice he brings up, I've got two really good guys, ex-Secret Service. They're going to find her. These guys don't do good jobs. But also, I just love saying to people, I've been waiting for you to call me. (laughs) I love Celia Ward in this. Yeah. I I don't usually like Celia Ward, but yeah. The predatory smile she gets mm-hmm. when she's about to interview him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's, man, I wonder how many takes they did of that. Cause I mean, Fincher's known for doing like 100 takes of a shot. Like, it's the perfect smile. Like, I, I guess that's one thing I really admire about Fincher is that, like, he has a vision and he gets what he wants. And if it's going to take 100 takes to do it, or, you know, like they went and shot on location everywhere here, like, spends a bunch of money to make his movies, but like, they're, it's not like, yeah, we only had that actor half a day, so we couldn't get what we wanted. It's like, no, he's going to get it. Well, also, the mythology of that is a little blown out of proportion. Like, when I talk about the 99 takes for the opening scene of The Social Network, a lot of that is technical. Like, like with various soundtracks and things that they needed, and, like, the audio mixes and, and what have you, and just the way they did it's it. Not like, it's not all technical, though. He does that a lot. Like, he's, that's not, like, yeah, the I mean, only he's scene. he's a perfectionist, which is good for him. But it's not like it was solely, like... No, you're not giving me my, the emotions I require. Right, I know, think he's not, he, he's like, not Kubrick. I'll put it that way. He's almost there. He kind of broke Robert Downey Jr. on uh, Zodiac. Oh, good. Somebody needs to. <laughs> he started leaving like jars of piss around the set. Fincher or Robert Downey Jr.? Downey. Eh, that's a Robert Downey Jr. thing, though. Yeah. That's uh, that's half that's halfway to a Jared Leto. I think it was because he like wasn't allowed to take pee breaks or something. Hmm. Yeah, call me back when you've left like a like a dead pig of a dildo in its ass, like on the set, like a Jared Leto. Okay. What do you think about uh, the Scoop McNary scene here? On paper, it's it's interesting. Uh, I don't like Scoop McNary. That's my biggest issue. The um the the picture that's painted of Amy is fascinating. Um, it's also it sets up the end game though, because Scoop McNary's character is the one who plants to Nick. You have to, because basically Scoop McNary refused to change for Amy. Yeah. And this whole thing is I have to paint this image that I will change, and that is what will bring her out of hiding and return her to me. I guess I go back and forth on like, there are times when I'm like, you could cut this entire scene, you don't need it. But it, I mean, it does, it does establish things that kind of flow naturally in the plot. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, by taking away you, – you, in the movie version, you can't have Tanner Bolt be the one like you've got to lure her back because yeah. then Nick has no agency in the end game or in the third act. So you have to have something that you can point back to at least and say this is the inception of the idea that he he ex- executes. Um, it's the little details that are interesting, like carrying the picture of him and Amy around in his wallet. Like, well, does the, he just angrily masturbate to this daily? The, you do know your wife. Yeah, um, I mean, this is definitely he, like kind of a Gillian Flynn special. I, I know she's gotten a fair amount of criticism over the years for the way that she will write female characters in a way that's like, I don't know, not empowering or something, you know, like she's she's gotten criticism for it. I mean, here it's like it's a story about a woman who makes false rape reports, you know, 
I think the thing is that her speciality is is the idea that I can write these female characters to give them the kind of meaty, murky darkness that that male characters are usually allowed. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily empowering, but I don't know that she's necessarily going for that. I mean, because the thing about Amy, oh, she's definitely not. I don't think no. For Amy to become like a feminist icon, she has to essentially become a monster. Yeah. You know, and that's 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 the kind of the dark thing about these like female true crime folk heroes is it's usually like they've done some kind of murderous thing to like abusive husband. Like they had to take it to that level. That's, that's how the system is rigged against women. But, uh, the line in the Scoot McNary scene, again, if it wasn't Scoot McNary, sorry guys, I don't know who's listening. It's like a Scoot McNary stand, Scoot stands, but he says, girls like a fixer upper, but Amy annexed me. She (laughs) made me her business, which I'd say it's probably the best thing that ever happened to this creep, except it's not. Well, I think um, that's the that's the thing that you, the audience member, theoretically wane in your mind. Like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's the juice worth but the squeeze. The word is great. I know in the original script, the line is, Amy invaded me. But uh-huh. I think Amy annexed me makes much more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that Nick discovered the secret theme to the locations of the treasure hunt. Like also what, don't these things almost almost incriminate Amy just as much in some regards? I think she would know how bad Nick looks. You know, it's it's it would be I think Tanner tells him at some point, like like you can't you can't you can't, we can't go to the cops with this. The like, I mean I don't I don't want to glorify I I I'm not too into it, but I have watched because at times I am fascinated by some of like the true crime documentary shit. Um and the one that Making a Murderer taught me, or reminded me, I guess, of is trials are not, like, forced to present all of the evidence. You essentially have two parties presenting their narrative, and they will ignore what they see fit. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the kind of the sad thing about the criminal justice system, is it's not like you have all of the facts and you have to make an informed decision as a jury. It's like, here's the story I'm telling you, and here's the story I'm telling you. Yeah. And it's like, you have to choose a story. Um I like the way um, Desi, when he first shows up, there's like a couple shots of him where he kind of appears as just like a silhouette before you see his face. Yeah. Um, he's a real creep. He's just like, that's a rude question. Okay. Neil Patrick Harris is great. That's that, that's where I stand. But what do you think about his casting in this? I think it's pretty good. What if this was Scoot McNary? No, no, not the same. Because he's, he's too twitchy. Okay, but Scoot, like- Scoot's too twitchy and he doesn't seem like someone who'd be rich. Um, I keep thinking like, is, is NPH too well known? No, I don't think so. I think, I think this is pretty good casting because I think because he has a certain amount of familiarity to the audience, you're not expecting what eventually happens. Okay. Oh, he's so good with what he has. Yeah. I love the way he appears in silhouette here at the start of the shot. Later on when he leaves Amy, uh, one of those times he like, it's like he steps back out of the light and it's another Mm -hmm. silhouette shot. I like, I love the way. They kind of like tease and foreshadow his character here. Also, Amy and I believe in the lost art of letter writing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So first lesson, never go mini golfing with total and utter white trash. I mean, I think if the the moment she's that Lola Kirk there starts like chatting you up the pool. Yeah. You got to get out of there. She waited too long. It was only after like she exposed herself. Uh, but dropping her money while while mini golfing though she was like oh fuck I gotta get out of here but she also it, it just like she she didn't do it fast enough she should have got out there that night role play though 
if you drop your fanny pack, are other people going to automatically assume that's obviously cash? I think it's like they can kind of see that there's money in there or something. Maybe that's know. how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's she has this beautiful symphony of destruction, and it's essentially thwarted I'm by these two by scumbags helping in her to her orchestra. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, but I, I think the the poolside scene though, it kind of gets at the core of something about Amy that that we're missing. Amy is this masterful, fucked up genius. She's also a human being, like especially. But she's not as, as smart wronged, as she thinks she is. Yeah. But as a wronged woman doesn't she want to speak to another person and be like, this is my sob story. I think there's that. And I think that she, one of her mistakes is that she thinks these are just a couple of dumb hicks. I can get one over on them. I'm going to say I'm from new Orleans, you know, like, like immediately, uh, Lola Kirk's character here knows that she's lying and she kind of like needles her about it. Like in every scene that they're in, you know, about like new Orleans and, and like the cuisine there and whatnot, you know, like, and, and I think Amy, in her hubris, doesn't realize that these people aren't complete fucking idiots. You know, it's like you may think that they're hicks, but like they're they're going to catch on to the fact that you're lying by the way that you're mm-hmm. acting. And I can't think of an example, but I feel like this is on its way to becoming a new trope is after a criminal has done crime to you. They're like, hey, you should be careful in the future. There's worse people than us out there. <laughs> um. Also, casinos. I assume casinos have a shit ton of cameras. Riverboat casino? Yeah, but how would they know to look? Well, that's the thing, though, is a lot of this is predicated on, well, if no one knows to look. And she's in disguise. Ish. I'd say it's a pretty good disguise. I like the guy who's like, don't I know you? Yeah. (laughs) Um so we're we're at the kind of the end game here. Like Desi's gonna take her back to his like was it like lake house? It's lake house. Yeah, that's an insane lake house. I love how he has to lake show off, where, show where off everything. Yeah, he's yeah. Got, like like the heated tiles and fucking iPad remote that controls the whole house. And there's so, cameras everywhere. Heated tiles. You're telling me this is a this is a rich person bathroom fetish? Yeah, you, you never watch Breaking Bad, huh? I've watched as much as I've watched with you. Whenever I watched it with you, so. Season one? I fucked Ted. That's a line from the show. I was going to say, don't make me jealous. Mm. Um, I'm very impressed by the haircut she gives herself at Desi's. Yeah. Good job, Amy. I, she would have had to or, or had him Like, do there's it, no right? way Desi gave this haircut. He he would ruin his pants. I mean, this giving is... Giving her this haircut. You know, there's jokes about the I'd like to speak to your manager haircut, but this is like the... This is like the er, I'd like to speak to your manager haircut. This is the ultimate. Oh, yeah. This is the final I mean, form. This is like chic salon haircutting, mm-hmm. I think. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I 100% that Desi Collins is a guy who's like, Amy and I believe in the lost art of erotic haircuts. <laughs> but like, no, this dude would just like, he's been saving a certain level of spunk for achieving the Amy Elliott special. There's no way he cut her hair. Um, yeah, so watching her watching Andy's press conference is so good. Why is she dressed like a babysitter? The girl with the giant come on me tits. Now she looks like a fucking Mennonite. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, um, the, uh, they're setting up the interview with uh, Celia Ward's character here. I like how the story breaks before the interview. Like it's, yeah. it's the timing isn't like perfect. You know, they have to kind of react to, to each other. Well, like Celia Ward is just like, I thought I had a scoop, but now I got a fucking, uh, <laughs> yeah masterpiece on my hands here um 
Yeah, so when she watches the interview with, with NPH, I love the way Desi like stares at her. And she's just <laughs> enjoying her, her like dessert. It like yeah. takes her custard away. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I need some time to think. And he's like, that's the last thing you need. Oh, yeah. He starts with the whole like, you rejected me before. You've made the right decision. Like, go with that instinct. The creepiest line of all time. Yeah. Listen, Amy, I'm not going to force myself. But, (laughs) you know, you take a girl out to your lake house because of the implication. Um, Well, the, the the way that he says, oh, there's cameras everywhere. They'll see anyone trying to enter or leave. Yeah, you know, like the, this, like the or leave part of it. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like he's or definitely. You, I'm not saying he's necessarily like deserving of murder, but, but he has a vibe that like he could get there. Yeah. If yeah. if she tries to defy him. Yeah. Um. So she plays his vanity. I love the way she essentially describes him, like he's Fraser, and she describes Nick like he's Al Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> He's got uh, these lines about like oh we go to Greece and like uh, eat octopus and do do play Scrabble or whatever you know? yeah do the yeah. crossword. Ugh. So you just you're watching her set up everything prior to the uh, the love scene and it is oh just like like you're just the the murder boner that's building in you like the the way you know this is not going to be good i kind of wish i mean messy i and fun i always like to read the book beforehand but i kind of wish i didn't know what was going to happen like just like what would i have been thinking as this starts building like what would i think as we like we just see her like off frame doing something to herself below the waist there with that wine yeah. bottle yeah well then they kind of like shopped around this idea that they like thrown out the third act and we're gonna do something different in the movie. And it's not quite the case, but still it comes together masterfully, like visually in this movie. Um because you're just not prepared for how shockingly wonderful it looks as she slits his throat at the moment of uh completion. <laughs> at the apogee. <laughs> I love the way uh, after they find the woodshed with all the shit in it, uh they get called down with Tanner Bolt and it's like Boney's got the, the diary and she goes over all these different entries. How to explain this, how to explain that. Um, I love the line from uh, Tanner there. He's just like, for future reference, I'm not a handwriting expert. That's what she said. No, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he gets upset. Well, Nick is a little sassy though. Like she's just like, it says right here, this man might kill me. And he's like, that's convenient. Don't yeah. you think? <laughs> Well, then she comes back in. She's just like, okay. And we got like the match on this, like, you know, broken, you know, wood that we found. Yeah. DNA confirms, you know, it's time. Nick, you're done. You're under arrest. Like, she's like, I've given you so many chances. You know, I tried to like just assume you're an idiot, you know, and that's why you're reacting this way. But sorry. Yeah. And then I think what we jumped like uh, 21 days. So, yeah, three weeks later. Amy's back to her, like she's got the haircut. She's like just walking around in like negligees constantly. Yeah, I'm sure that's how Desi likes it because he's moved in here. We find out. Hmm. He's got his perfect captive fantasy that he's been gushing well, over. She she rips the uh the shirt tail out of his pants there, so it's not tucked in. Which uh-huh. uh, that's the way the kids were in these days, apparently. Gotta well, doesn't she kind of kiss him and bite him and bites him? Yeah, but I think it's it's so clever because then when he leaves, she he's caught on camera. Is he him like licking his finger and tucking mm-hmm. his, pa- uh, his shirt into his pants? 
And so and then she runs to the window. Yeah. Because yeah. so I, I think the cameras cannot see inside. They only see the outside. So forensically, what she's setting up is that essentially right then is when the rape attacked. Right? One of the, the one last rapes That's happened. like when she got out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just the, so, the the imagery of the media like crowding their uh, SUV when they're like driving away from the police station after he gets out on bail. Like, I don't know why the media is allowed to do shit like this. I really don't. Uh, I mean, I'm a full supporter of like journalism rights and whatnot, but like the like weird thing where they just like can surround cars in public and I don't know. It just seems like really unsafe. Yeah, I mean, but just the it's this like Roman bread and circuses gladiatorial thing. It, it's really disgusting. And I I think about how terrible it is in America and it's it's been bad like this for a, quite a while. But then I think of like, you know, like Amanda Knox shit. Mm-hmm. There, are, so there are American so thing. many people who are just absolutely convinced that she's a murderer. Like she has some like YouTube series for Broadly. And like you can go look at like and it's just like her in interviewing other people who other women who've gone through like trauma in various ways. And you can it's like, oh, it's uh she's interviewing like Misha Barton about like a revenge porn thing. And then you go look in the comments and it's just like a bunch of people who are like, She's a murderer. Well, first of all, fuck YouTube comments, but like good for her for trying to use her notoriety to like help you know, explain some of these issues or elevate voices that are getting lost in the shuffle. Um, yeah. Quick. The knife cut is it's so fast that like, he doesn't Mm -hmm. even start bleeding for a little bit. Oh, he's he's so shocked. Yeah. Yeah. His O face and his shocked face or same face. That's going to be you someday. Mm. Once you, once you finally have answered the question, am I a Ben Affleck or am I a Scoot McNary? (laughs) Uh, and she like kind of like gets on top of him is really doing the job there. Yeah. She's like, he's just, uh, completing onto her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a good thing. Nick woke up when he did, or that just wouldn't have been staged very well. I mean, he comes out the next morning and she yeah. dries up covered in blood. <laughs> Falls into his arms. You yeah. Fucking bitch. <laughs> Oh God, it's so good. Yeah, we talked about the interview, and I like how she like kind of is willing to fall back on the like uh, he 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 spent money. I don't know. I don't understand. You know, it's like she's like so lucid when she needs to be, and then yeah. not when uh, her story is a little shady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like she's she's realized on at this moment, especially surrounded by people, there are things I cannot explain. Mm-hmm. Like I as, as part of like folding my original narrative into this new one. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I love like later on she's just like I need you to admit to this, this, and this. I need these things to feel safe. Yeah, like how I mean I think okay, obviously they probably would have washed off the blood by now, but just like getting the visual in the shower with her washing the blood off, she's stalking him. That's pretty good. It comes off pretty, pretty well considering it's presumably been caked on there for. I've uh, you know never had to to wash a bunch of caked on blood, so I don't know how easy it comes off. I'm surprised you haven't. I would think this would be on your bucket list. That's How old true. are you now? This this should be your thing. Yeah. That's, I think that's you would like true. to be a guy who's just like covered in blood for a while. And then like you go out, maybe order some food. No. That's just <laughs> go to your favorite Starbucks. Go back home. And you're like, all right, let's, let's get scrubbing. 
That would just be unsanitary. Oh, okay. Yeah. Would, would you, uh, if you were Nick, would you stay in the same bed as Amy? No. 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 Sit, well, sit so with like the, the cat first, in the other room. The first night, doesn't he like lock himself into the one room? Yeah. And, and then take the second night, she like tucks him in. That would terrify me. <laughs> well, because, I mean, it's not just the, the mind games. Like, he knows that she murdered this dude. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, so and it's she's like, making a souffle with the cat. Yeah. Yeah, souffle is not the souffle; it's the recipe. But uh, oh, Amy. Um, and then of course there's there's the detail of the baby. Well, was it Ellen Abbott? I think that's her name. She shows up, and she's oh, got yeah. like the little ironic uh, like cat robot present, and because it, it's like dark. it's all a game to her, you know, it's all it's all just showbiz. Mm-hmm. And then the pregnancy, yeah, she never threw it away. She just threw the notice away. And I think in the in the book it's set up a little bit more with the complicated issues he has coming out of his dad, like both how much he hated his dad, but also how much he's kind of become his dad. Mm -hmm. And now it's like that kind of crossroads is thrown in his face at the end. And there's, I mean, it's, it's hinted at in the movie, but I think there's even a more suggestion in the book that like, he's kind of developed uh, what what could be the beginning of a relationship with Boney at this point. Like they they like each other. Yeah. And it's like there could be something there, but now there can't be. You know, like Boney's on his side at this point. She knows that Amy's a murderer and they actually enjoy each other's company. And she would probably be a lot better of a wife for him than Amy would. You know, it's like they're both Missourians. They they seem to be more on each other's like wavelength, but But she for the first time in his life, Nick Dunn has met a woman who sees him as completely as he is. Yeah. You know, flaws and all like there's no there's no charm. There's no finger on the chin. You know, like he's not pretending to be someone else like she sees absolutely what what he is for good and bad. But yeah, so the the question that these like good guys struggle with, you know, is is thrown in his face now. Like he's failed this test multiple times, but now it's like, okay, there's a child. Are you going to bounce like your dad, Mr. Brown? um, Or are you going to stick around? And so, like, in the book, in the movie, it's fine. But in the book, this ending, like, you really get why, why he's staying yeah. and, and why it's hard. Obviously, why it's hard. But, like, why he's doing this against all everything else. Mm-hmm. In the movie, I don't know if it translates as well. They're just hoping this may be that, my only flaw. They're yeah. just hoping that you assume that, like, oh, he, he, he can't abandon what would be his child, you know, so he has to stick around. And that, that's one thing as an adaptation, I think the movie hints at a lot of things that are spelled out a little bit more yeah. in the, in the book, you know, like when, when earlier when like something comes up that he didn't tell Margo about just with him and Amy and he's like, I didn't want to give you another reason to hate her. <laughs> that's a very, real <laughs> yeah, the great line, like complicated means bitch. Yeah. 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 I like how Amy starts wearing like all black towards the end of the movie, like just like a true villain. Yeah. That's marriage. Well, just and there's some great back and forth. I kind of like how you you mentioned like Fincher's like this very modern take on like your, I don't know even like you're like your George Cukor, like you're just your classic old glam Hollywood directors, and they had this great banter back and forth where he's like, I saw you throw out the notice of the specimen, and she's like, Did I throw out the notice? Yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so they have to explain everything to like as they're sending off Tanner Bolt and then. 
again, this is this is the, the beauty of a of a Tyler Perry that I I haven't really seen like any of his other movies. I've seen like the Alex mm-hmm. Cross movie. Star and he's Trek. just like what well, oh yeah, that's right. He's Admiral in Star Trek. Um I swear you two are the most fucked up people I've ever met. And I specialize in fucked up. And he <laughs> leaves and I'm like, God damn it, I want the Tanner Bolt movie. <laughs> Tanner's gonna get like ten percent of that book deal. He'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we have the uh, the kind of TV stage interview at the end where they announce the pregnancy and what a happy moment. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think I missed it up earlier. The only time you liked yourself is when you were trying to be someone this cunt would like. Title. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, I don't think that'll be the title. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, romance. Love is starting off dark. <laughs> if you could uh, make a single change this movie, what would it be? Um, this is always a hard one for me because to me, it's like, I always see the start of changes. It's never like just one tweak. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's too complicated of an answer for me. I'm sorry. What's your, what's yours? That's it. Just, just, it's too complicated of an answer. Yeah. I, I guess that's kind of, you're always very good about being like this scene, this scene and this scene, I change it. And I'm always kind of like, well, you need to start the process of moving this thing to soften this aspect and work on well, that. That's part. the challenge of make one change. I know, I know, I know. I'm still making my big jerk off motion in the air. Um, yeah, it's just too complicated. There's, but it, it's just a really solid movie on its own. Okay. Well, I guess the only thing I could really think for this, I, for a while, I was like, cut the scoot scene completely. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess he kind of need it just for, you need it. I don't know, foundational reasons. Um, I guess Recast I would it. I would want to let, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think it is pretty good casting for Scoot McNary to be this like Weasley guy. I mean, is Miles Teller busy that day? Just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Nice too young. I think kidding. if you could have had Nick be a little bit more shady in the first half of the movie, mm. um, some of that, I just, I don't know how, if it's, possible to entirely escape the casting because at the same time you you assume that ben affleck could have committed these crimes but you're also assuming that he didn't and i don't know what else he could do to really communicate that he's more guilty i think you're supposed i think if you're i'm just guessing i think what you want is to think he's innocent at the very beginning and then to have that start to turn before he gets to the woodshed Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think there's there's maybe a little too much of seeing his reactions to things where it's like he really seems to be reacting like he's innocent. Like if we got like maybe a little bit more stoicism from him at certain moments, mm-hmm. it might sell it a little better. But well, because you're you're too much in the shoes. Like the the movie does too good of a job of explaining how this might be your reaction yeah. in this situation and how that's going to be perceived to be something horrific. Like dealing with the media, et cetera. Um, so that kind of underlies or kind of betrays the whole idea of making him villainous, despite that chin. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, let's see our power rankings. Oh, this is going to be tough. I'm not totally in love with mine. I, no? It's hard. Um, oh, oh I've, I've, I've got 10. Okay, I've got 10 as well. All right. Who's your number 10? My number ten are Rand and Mary Beth. Oh, they didn't rank for me. Yeah, I, I, oh. I, you know, I didn't rank some people. Sorry, sorry. Uh, what's that guy's name? Like, uh, Scoots Troy, whatever. Like Troy McClure, whatever his name is. Yeah, Troy McClure. Hi, you might remember me. 
from such stories as Amy's rape. <laughs> yeah. Rape's not a joke, you guys. Um, I mean, Dave McLennan and, and uh, the actor who plays Lisa Baines, who plays the mom, they're just so great as the characters they are. But Dave, especially Dave McLennan, like he just is so good at this like hippie dad who's like shocked and like grief stricken. Well, he just wants uh, to hug it out at first. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he wants to hug it out. And, like Mary Beth is like the enforcer. Like the way that she's just strolling down the side of the waterway as like Nick has to come up to like, you know, beg forgiveness well, over however he's upset her. She's practically time. in like riding gear. Yeah. Yeah. She's, yeah. She's wearing like she's going to go like do some equestrian shit right after this. Um, yeah. What's your number 10? I had Desi Collins. Wow. Really? That, that low. Yeah. It's just. I don't know. It's I guess it's a well portrayed role, but he just seems so oily and gross. Okay. Or he's just like, oh, I got your hair dye, and I'm gonna regulate your diet so you can look nice. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, my number nine. I was at this like kind of crossroads of who to put there, and so I end, ended up selling on Emily Ratajkowski. Okay. Uh, this was a struggle for me because she's actually kind of a really tough role because she's her whole purpose, I think, is for you to dislike. Like she's supposed to draw your ire. I think she's just supposed to be a bimbo. Yeah. Um, and it's like her her kind of filmography, like she's known for I think you and I were confused she's by known the for a music she's video. Known for a music video with like Robin Thicke of all notorious and she's fuck a, boys. She's an influencer. Yeah, but she's also like somebody who, you know, obviously she's somebody who's exploited and sexualized quite a bit, but she's also like uh, an advocate of like, you know, women expressing themselves, being sex positive. Uh, she looks like a, like a, like a Jenner, you know, clone a little bit, but they like uh, I saw, I saw a thing with, um, with Fincher where he was talking about, she had to kind of straddle two different things. She had to show up and one people, one side of the audience had to hate her. And then the other side of the audience, and I think he's implying men, heterosexual men, were supposed to be like, yeah, I'd do it. <laughs> She's worth it. And so like that's that's a really hard place for, I think, especially a female character to be. So uh, just the the dichotomy of like, this is the girl who will show up and fuck you on your sister's couch while you're also assumed by the nation to be guilty of your wife's murder, but then will later dress like a Mennonite. <laughs> And talk then, about how you were rightfully taken advantage of like and then she's gonna uh, tell you to go to the fire festival yeah exactly exactly so yeah. your number nine? uh noel noel hawthorne okay <laughs> i just i don't know it's not the most flattering of roles it's mostly just for amy's commentary on noel but i like how noel's like kind of constantly in the first part of the movie trying to talk to boney and it's like constantly being brushed off and like at yeah. one point they're like showing they're just like, hey, uh, who's Noel Hawthorne? And Beneflex like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no yeah, idea. Yeah. No, she's not friends there. And they're like, here's all these pictures of them hanging out together. And he's like, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, also, the detail. Who are your wife's friends? She has none. Yeah. And it's like, really? Um, yeah, Noel Hawthorne is my number eight. Um, and part of it is just the testament of Casey Wilson, how well she plays this caricature like you said the bits where she just shows up and she's just like i really need to talk to you and like detectives like can i talk to you in a half an hour and like well that's usually nap or that's usually bath time and she's like <laughs> well i'll talk to you while you're shampooing <laughs> or whatever um 
it, it just it just nails the person who's desperate to be a part of this narrative. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Number eight, I had Ellen Abbott or uh, Nancy Grace stand in. Um, I've always found Nancy Grace just like despicable. Uh, I feel like Missy Powell does such a great kind of pastiche of the Nancy Grace with just a little bit more of a knowing um, kind of in on the joke, but not too mm-hmm. in. Like it never feels like full parody, but it's like mm-hmm. slightly more tolerable than uh, the real Nancy Grace. Well, I guess the idea is that there's there's two type of media figures here, right? There's your Nancy Graces and there's like your Diane Sawyers. It's so Diane you have Sawyer. Huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Scream 2. Yeah. So you have you have like those two figures. And I think Celia Ward and Missy Powell do a good job with saying both those, but they didn't actually make my list. It's the second time you've seen a scene on this podcast. Have I? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll throw that word away. Mm-hmm. I just want to make you happy. Never man. mention uh, it again. All right, here's your uh, number, my number, my number, number eight was Ms. Noel Hawthorne. My number seven okay. is uh, Gilpin, Boney's partner, played by Mr. Almost Famous. Me too. Yeah. Yep. I, mean, I think we've covered why. Yeah. <laughs> we like this guy. It's not a mo- it's not like a super nuanced role, but for what he's playing, he plays it right. And he's got that that perfect, just like straight-laced, white bread guy look who'd be a cop. Shirt tucked into his pants, yeah. Yeah, like his police polo. Yeah. All right. Number, my number six. My number six is Desi Collings. Oh. Um, I, I, I said I, I kind of would go back and forth of is Neil Patrick Harris too flashy of a casting for this role? But he's good. Like, especially like during this time period, I think he's wrapping up How I Met Your Mother, where he's playing a very certain type of character, and this is um. Maybe not too far away from a Barney Stinson, but just much more low key and muted until he's creepier. And he's he he does that great job of getting under your skin to not necessarily make their love scene seem like such a stretch. <laughs> right? Yeah. Know. I'm wondering if uh my number six is on your list or not. Hmm. Uh it's the cat. I love the cat. I love that the cat is just in a lot of scenes. Not doing much, hanging out with Nick, or just yeah. watching. I like the the scene where it's just like perched in front of Amy as she's making the souffle at the end. There, love that cat. No, sadly the cat's not on my list. The cat is fascinating. The cat just chilling perfectly out in the front yard, waiting. I think for Nick. I assume it's like an indoor cat, so it's like it's not supposed to go outside. Yeah, um, it's not really been my experience with my cats. Um, Sally was like knocking shit off the counter, like while we were recording and so i'm sitting here like debating whether or not i stop the recording to go stop her or i just let her fuck shit up the fucking shit up one i can so. still be an indoor cat and fuck shit up yeah yeah but that cat's great so she's just a little moment where like margot lets herself in and like takes a moment before going to talk to nick and like just picks up the cat yeah i mean yeah. it reminds me a little bit of, of peanuts cat boo boo like it was uh it, it was an indoor cat like it, you could open the door and it would just kind of peek out, but it wouldn't like run outside. He wouldn't. Peanut has a new cat. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Uh, number five. Uh, Tyler Perry as Tanner Bolt, Esquire. Same. Yeah. I want this show. I want this movie. I want this whatever. Like, I, I guess I have, I guess like things like Medea haven't appealed to me. Um, 
I've heard about like the plot of some of his like non Medea movies and they sound kind of moralistic and weird. And I don't know, like he just gets at this character. He just relishes it. But he's still a character who's very smart. He's very pragmatic. I, I don't know. Like, is this what suits is like? Is suits like Tanner Bolt? Cause maybe <laughs> I would watch that show. <laughs> nah, not from the one episode I watched. Yeah. yeah I watched the one of, of Troy. And so I guess you're right. Yeah. I had a uh, Tanner as well. Number five. Um, just the fun character throwing gummy bears and just he's having a good time the whole time. And then I, I guess you buy that. He probably doesn't think Nick did it. Yeah. Like he, he probably has a, enough of a bullshit detector to know. Um, but I think he, he it seems Nick probably didn't do it and he's going to make a lot of money. Well, I mean, either way, I mean, I'm sure the Tanner is representing clients that he's pretty sure did. I'm do sure he, he does, but I, I think just the way he interacts with Nick suggests that he probably doesn't think Nick did it. Well, I think he, yeah, I think he gets to read on like Nick's too dumb to get yeah. his wife. Nick is exactly as smart as the guy who just like fucks a student. I love his like the detail we should have thrown in the, uh, yeah, your mission's going to come forward. They always do. Yeah. Don't take it personally. <laughs> well, on the, when they're coaching him and he's just like, I had a, I had a, I can't remember how he describes it. He's like, I had a lapse of judgment or something like that. Or, you know, like I had a, a moment of weakness and he's like, your moment of weakness that lasted 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which that's a long affair to be having with one. Of your I, I have known somebody who I found out later had been the entire time. I've been friends with them. They had been cheating on a spouse. Oh, it was really? like two years. Yeah. Hmm. Um, also, the, the gummy bear scene is great because it's it's Nick and Tanner and Margot. Mm. When Margot finally gets to jump in there and throw her gummy bear, Nick catches it in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I like the jokes in the um, – it's a little bit in the movie. The jokes in the book about like the twin cest because they're so alike. They have that weird twin energy. <laughs> uh, so I wonder how much uh, – what our, uh, our top four will look like. My number four is Carrie Coon is Margot Dunn. Yeah, I think we're going to have like the exact same top four. Yeah, because I have Margaret Dunn as well. Um, yeah. She's great. She is not in it a ton overall, but like just enough that she like she makes an impression. She feels very, it's a very lived in role. Um, it's, mm. I don't know, she's, Carrie Coon is, and everything I've seen her in so far, she's been excellent. Yeah, Isn't I mean, she she's in like an episode, she's in like a season of Fargo, right? Yeah, yeah, she's like the lead of like Fargo season three. Is it three? Okay, yeah, that's the one I haven't watched. Or I, I, I have seen season one. I've seen season three. I haven't seen season two. But so it's like her and Ewan McGregor. Um, but she's great in this, and especially for like you said, the role that's not there as much. Really, she's kind of like Nick's moral compass and his his chorus at the same time. Uh-huh. I kind of wavered about putting like her or Tanner. You know, like switching them two around, but no, Margot at number four makes sense. I agree with you. I'm not calling a person go. Yeah, I just can't. Uh, so I'm gonna guess you have Nick at number three as well. Correct, Amundo. Yep. Um, I think, like I said earlier, he's kind of perfectly cast. I'm not yeah. always a fan of Ben Affleck. I don't like. I, I I wouldn't like not go see a movie because Ben Affleck is in or anything. I don't hate him. I think there's mm-hmm. like a certain Ben Affleck persona. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like kind of like turned off. I'm like, no thanks. But I don't know. He, I think he has his moments. Like he was pretty good in, uh, what was that movie? Yeah, the Town. He was good in that. He's good in Gone Baby Gone. Um, didn't see Argo. Mm-hmm. but Argo, fuck yourself. Yeah, I, I think he, it's like he really needs 
either maybe when maybe it's just like he needs to be directing himself or he needs another director to be able to rein him in you know who's not like Zack Snyder I mean there's movies that I will go to my deathbed not seeing like I don't need to see Geely yeah no one needs to see that um I mean I don't I don't hate Ben Affleck I don't know why he's a an object of jest for me but yeah this might be his best role like this might be his most perfectly cast role Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that Nick Dunn's mother's name was Martha, right? I don't know if that's mentioned. <laughs> Why did you say that name? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just something about Affleck where you could see him as both the innocent, like schlub, and also like just that that smile. You're like, I don't know, maybe he did do it. You know, he he has that element where like you could be suspicious. I, I think the opportunity is there. I don't know if that's necessarily communicated in the text of the movie, but I think if Fincher had wanted to dial that aspect up, I think he certainly could have. I'm assuming, I'm willing to bet $100,000 our number two is the number one or certainly the same. Oh, yeah, because number two is Detective Rhonda Boney. Absolutely. I love Kendrick. God, she's so good. She's so fucking good. I haven't, well, I guess I've seen a little bit of Deadwood with you. So we must have seen her a little bit in that. Sorry, a little bit. I mean, my crush on her definitely begins with uh, Zero Effect. She was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in Lost briefly, right? As one of the uh, people in the, the oh, what do they yeah. call that hatch? That's not, the, that's not the lighthouse, is it? Fuck you, you broke me. Yeah. Is it, no, she's Sawyer's um, lady friend. Okay, that's right. I'm thinking of somebody else. She's who the I mother of the daughter. Deadwood. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, she's the other con artist. Is the daughter named Clementine? Am I misremembering this? That sounds right. Fuck me. I need to go rewatch Lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. But she like, 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 she's in retrospect, she's absolutely like the actor to take on Sawyer and like have a child with him, <laughs> more so than Kate. Do people really like actively ship Sawyer and Kate? I don't know. Probably. But yeah, I don't know. I've, I, I seemingly everything I've seen yeah, she's, Kim she's Dickens great. in, I've movie. loved her. She's great in this movie. I love her whole affect and the way she seems like such a competent cop, but not in the the kind of stereotypical ways we're used to seeing them. You know, it's not like she's not like the hard drinking cop. She's not Columbo. Like she's just very methodical, but I don't know, endearing at the same time. She's willing to just give the absolute benefit of the doubt to Nick until she is. What if she was the rich matriarch wife to a wayward wine country novelist? <laughs> I don't know about that, but it doesn't sound terrible, right? Well, you know, I'm a fan of, uh, of Kim Dickens. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. we'd have to find a younger version of her. Um, <laughs> like you, but younger. Oh no, you know, not not like that. But you know what I mean. Um, are we doing? Are we? Are we doing that movie in our month of romance? I need to double check. We have. To, oh, right? um, yeah, that's in there. Fuck it's yeah! Not, not next week, but yeah, that's in that's there. gonna that's gonna be juicy. Okay, I'm sorry. Our number one is Rosamund Pike is Amy Elliott Dunn. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred two hundred thousand percent. Dream girl. Uh, certainly, I've been searching my whole life for an Amy Elliott Dunn. Um, like, 
I want to say like the one of the roles that there would like dangled like oh this is the role where an actor can show the most like nuance is like Hamlet like she is doing Hamlet to a certain degree here like the ebb and flow of this character the broadness the subtleness like this is just a masterpiece of like an actor's work she's so she's so good and unfortunately the dual center she also has to be incredibly sexy and like just desirable and fascinating and interesting and amazing at the same time but um, i think she also gets to kind of you know when she goes undercover it's like then it's her her mission is to be unremarkable and kind of anonymous you know i, I mean it's pr- the physical the physical transformation is pretty impressive i mean she yeah. had to like gain and lose weight for this role like multiple times for the dif- different you know shots that they're doing um, so she was nominated for an Oscar for this. Let me look up who won. Oh yeah. Julianne Moore and still Alice, I believe is the one who won, mm. which mm. I didn't see it, but I don't know, man. Like I like Julianne Moore. She certainly should have an Oscar at least, but you're like, fuck you Alzheimer's. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you, you know, you forget. I don't know. I feel like the Academy is always more willing to reward, like the the affliction role than a role like Gone Girl, where it's just oh, like yeah. a, a tour de force. Yeah. Yeah. That that was a bad year, I think, in general. That was the year that fucking Birdman won. Oh. Uh, are you not a Birdman fan? It's okay. I mean, the invitation game shouldn't even have been nominated. Uh mm. Eddie Redman won that year. Oh, oh yeah, that's a bad year. Yeah. That's a real bad year. I'm a big fan of Emma Stone and Birdman. Oh yeah, she's definitely the best part of it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Rosamund Pike. Wow, I mean, she's just she's just so good. She she embodies like she's the girl you can relate to, and then she's so out of this world that she's your hero. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she's a little bit of both. Yeah, I don't know. All right, well. Uh... That about wraps it up. That was Gone Girl. Such a romantic movie. Such mm-hmm. a great date movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I definitely feel like I remember like people leaving the theater and like just some awkward conversations that I'm, like privy to walking behind people. I think one of us leaned to the other during the movie and we were like, Imagine if you were here on a first date. Yeah. <laughs> That's marriage. Uh <laughs> Which, oh, should I wish people were? <laughs> uh, so, should we talk about next week's movie? Speaking of the big month of romance. Yeah, so Valentine's Day is, will probably be when this movie goes up. It is, if I'm not mistaken, let me just pull up my thing. Uh, so, if we're going in order, it's going to be Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh-huh. This one, I'm, I don't know. This will be fun. I think I've actually only seen this movie once. With the crying girl? <laughs> she wasn't crying until after the movie. <laughs> Let's just leave that story until next week. <laughs> yep, that's a tease. <laughs> that's how you build what we call anticipation in the business. <laughs> All right, well, until then, have a yeah. good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.